Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. Hey, what's up, guys? Christopher Stolle back for another Breaking the Fourth Wall interview show. In this particular episode, I sit down with actor, podcaster, musician Michael Spedden and sit down and discuss not only his career in uh, in those fields, but also my own because it's a double broadcast, not only for uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall here, but his show as well. So make sure you guys go give him some love as well. We're going to get all the links and all in the description, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the uh, interview. Just to let you know, it is an audio-only recording. So guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy, and I'll catch you on the next Breaking the Fourth Wall. Um, hmm. I could just record here. I'll just I'll record and send it to you. That'll work. That'll work. That makes things a hell of a lot easier here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, so welcome again. Are we are we rolling? Yeah. So welcome again to Foul Players Radio. I'm here with Chris Stolle tonight. Chris, it's, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank so you. you're you're a guy like me who's into all kinds of different things here. And uh, how the hell we find time to do anything? I guess being in quarantine kind of helps. But um, you know, you see, you know, you're involved with you know several podcasts. Um, you know, you've also in the you know been involved with wrestling. You've been a singer in a band, and um, you've been around for quite a bit, just like I have. You know, uh, doing bands, acting, podcasting. You know, it's it's quite the life, isn't it? I've never done the acting thing, but uh, like you, I've le- earned every line on this face. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Same with me. Same with me here. Um, so tell us about your podcasts. Um, you know, you have you are involved with a couple of them, and um, you know, I've gotten to know you over the last couple of weeks since we've met Steve Joyner and kind of been networking together here. Right, which is kind of what I do the best here. Mm-hmm. networking I'm, I'm i'm a terrible podcaster but i'm a decent networker well, uh, no. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh no i have a i have a podcast my main podcast is breaking the fourth wall uh, okay that's two iterations one is the interview shows where i'll sit down and i'll do one-on-one interviews with special people like yourself mm-hmm. and uh then i've also got our weekly show which is more towards the entertainment and comedy side of uh of terrestrial radio type deal so so think along the veins of people like Howard Stern, Bob and Tom. Sure, uh, sure. Steve. Uh, that, that's kind of the weekly show. And, uh, you know, you'll be the first. You'll get the exclusive that we're actually toying with the idea of a daily show. Wow. It, 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 uh, it's nothing confirmed yet, but we are toying with the idea of a daily show. So there may be another podcast coming. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, that's great. Um, 
Yeah, that's great though. I was, uh, you know, a guest of yours the other, uh, the other day, uh, we sat down and we, uh, yeah, we talked about all kinds of things uh, the other day with uh, Don Smith and uh, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the Coast to Coast Power Hour. Yeah, absolutely. And um, getting a chance to you know, talk to some other podcasters and see what they're like and getting their perspective on doing their shows and some of the things they like to talk about. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's really been a lot of fun, you know, because people kind of focus on some different things. You know, I'm a little bit more of a uh, historical type of podcast not historical but people's journeys you know their right. story um you know some people just like to have people on and they kind of mention what they do but then they go into a whole other topic and that kind of thing um you know they ask them what they think of this movie or this whatever is going on in the news or uh whatever happens to be happening at that time here and um when did you first start getting into this it was completely by accident. Uh, in, in real life, I was a, uh, you know, a uh, uh, building maintenance mechanic, uh, basically apartment superintendent. Mm -hmm. And just for background noise and, and while working in an empty apartment, turning it over, getting ready for new tenants or whatever, I started uh, discovering things like Collider's uh, Movie Talk and Jedi Council and uh. listen to them bitch about movies. <laughs> and, you know, on YouTube, and in turn i'm like hell i could do that mm -hmm. so i created breaking the fourth wall with a couple friends literally calling them up on my phone putting my phone on speaker and having a digital recorder next to my phone and that's how i started you know more people do that than you think no i know <laughs> me included <laughs> so, yeah it's for four years that's what i've been doing and I, I i'll admit the main reason i do the podcasting is because of the fact that i can't act and i I, I'm not a comedian, so stand-up and movies are completely out of the question. But this I can do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, having the person, having the ability to talk and keep a good conversation going so people have something to listen to is great, you know. Um, and, and again, you know, your guests, you know, some, the thing is, is that you don't have to worry about being the whole thing. That's why you have guests, you know. Right. Um, right. You know, some podcasts out there is just the host talking and, you know, they talk about what they think and then that's it, you know. Um that's why you have guests to bring in a little bit of variety and get some other uh, people's perspectives on stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, you're so not wrong. I've, I've done a lot of podcasts uh, where I've tried to be the only person, uh -huh. you know, uh, I, I've, I toyed with the idea of podcasts of like what's in my head where I talk about like things that I wouldn't normally talk about in the entertainment field. Sure. You know, but, but just be myself. And, you know, I find myself boring. Uh, <laughs> I, I find myself more entertained just myself. And I imagine my listeners too mm -hmm. in a group surrounding where I could play off of other people and what they say and what they do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the same, they play off of me and, you know, have genuine conversation. I think that's what, what appeals a lot of people to, uh, to, to our podcast, we're all miss entertainment and, you know, even things like uh, coast to coast power hour mm -hmm. is that it's not scripted. It's genuine conversation between people who are genuinely interested in the topic of conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, that's the thing I did one, uh, one of them last year that was a solo one. I had a number of people on around Halloween and last year I had a number of guests, uh, tell me what their top Halloween favorite uh, horror movies were. Um, you know, a, a number of guests, um, it could have been at least, it could have been 10, it could have been 20 and who was counting, you know, as long as we were having fun. And I decided I was going to do one on my own and I just recorded it myself. And I don't think it was a snooze fest to be fair, but, 
Um, I'd rather have a little other, a little more uh, spice in the conversation besides just me talking. Um, right. You know, because sometimes when you get talking, you feel, you know, just by yourself, you feel a little bit stupid after a while and you wonder what the hell you're doing. But um, it, it ended up being, you know, I had some really good times uh, doing that last year. Um, some people really had some good ones and some ones I never heard of and some ones they ended up turning me on to, which was great. Um, you know, so uh, you're not wrong. I've done I've done a couple of them. one of the ones I always ran into trying to do the solo one is I'd go into this epic rant about something. And I wanted to get it off my chest. So I go and I go and I go and I talk and I talk and I talk. And I finally take a breath because I got the point out and I felt good about myself. I said, that's a good half hour video. I look at the timer of the recorder and I'm seven minutes and 30 seconds. I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth too. That's the truth too. Have you ever had somebody uh, come on your show that just, no matter what you did, you just, you, you do that. You know that they're an interesting person from knowing them but you just cannot get them to talk to save your life. Well, not knock wood so far. I have not had the issue. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I've, I've had the exact opposite issue and this is not a bad thing at all, but I've actually had the, the exact opposite issue where sometimes I tell them like on my interview shows, I want to have like a half, I want to keep it within a half hour, 45 minutes mm -hmm. and two and a half hours later, they're still going. Oh yeah, yeah. I've had that too. I've had the uh, I've had the good fortune of having other people go on and on and on. I've had some really ones where I've really hit it off with the person. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, uh, I've had a couple of them where it wasn't like the person had a bad attitude or anything, or just didn't want to do it or didn't want to be there. But it's like you're talking to them and you ask a question, and you know there's a lot to the answer, but they're just like, uh -huh, yeah, yeah. No, yep. I've, I've never had an issue with somebody that that I couldn't get them to speak. Uh, I can say, however, that I've had a couple where I wondered how truthful they were. Oh, that's true. Okay. I could see that. I could see that. I, I've had some problems, I guess, not so much getting them to speak, but getting them to elaborate. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, and then, yeah. and then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never easy. It's never easy. But, um, and that was on a podcast that I haven't, that I'm not doing anymore either, but I had somebody come in and I was just like, good Lord, what do I got to do? to get something out of this guy. You know, he comes in with this big list of things he wanted to talk about. He's like, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to be fair <laughs> to, to kind of be, to kind of play off of what you're talking about here. When Realm of the Mist was first initially launched as a, as a network where uh -huh. I was uh, producing and, and helping to launch other podcasts, mm -hmm. helping people build their dreams of, of podcasting. There were a couple people I did, you know, that were supposed to be hosting their own own shows. Mm -hmm. that I would co-host on and I would, I would have to coax them. Like I, I had to handhold them out of their shell. To right. 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 Shows. So I guess in a sense, I've had that experience in that way, mm -hmm. but not when I do my interviews with my interviews, I don't have an issue with getting somebody to really open up and want to have the conversation. Right. 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 How about, um, so tell us a bit here. You, you've got a background in wrestling. <laughs> Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> oh, it was, huh? <laughs> that was a twenty-year accident. A twenty-year uh, accident, huh? The long story short is, me and my buddies used to go out and do what they told you not to do at home. You know, the backyard wrestling stuff. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, kids, don't try this at home. This is not how you get into pro wrestling. I got. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, my, my friends heard about a wrestling convention coming to town and uh, they got this bright idea in their head of let's make a tape of us doing our backyard wrestling and hand it out like a demo at the convention. <laughs> 
because they figured that was the way to get into the WWE. <laughs> and one of my buddies turned around and he wanted to wrestle <laughs> me on the video. And I said, are you freaking retarded? Yeah, at, the time I was, at the time I was concentrating on music. That was what I dreamt to do. I did the backyarding thing for fun with my buddies. You know? uh-huh, right, right, right. I didn't really have an aspiration of being a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, a, a 12 pack of beer and a lot of begging later, I agreed to do the match. <laughs> I, figured, I figured at the end at the end of the day it's like i'm never gonna meet these people what do i care if i'm the butt of their jokes mm-hmm. you know and uh, so i went and we did the we did the thing they did the tape and they took it to the convention i never thought of it again until i got a letter from the grand wrestling alliance out of <laughs> philadelphia that stated after viewing your dark tape we came to the three following conclusions one you have uh personalities and talents that can be molded to current storylines two you have raw in-ring abilities that can be shaped into uh active performances three you guys are effing nuts (laughs) and i got recruited into professional wrestling (laughs) (laughs) wow wow i guess just when you least expect it you know um you you end up getting a break huh you end up getting a break and (laughs) i had to thank my buddy for the 12 pack of beer and the begging (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he knew he saw it in you all those years he just had to bring it out of you and it no, took he just wanted, no he just wanted somebody that was as small as he was to fight he didn't want to fight one of our fatter friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> he had a fighting chance against me <laughs> mm. I, you know I, I remember watching those backyard wrestling videos marketed you know uh, you know at, you know advertised for on television Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I mean, some of these guys, it's just like, you know, I mean, I'm sure in the, uh, in a professional arena, you know, you, you've got padding and you've got, you know, some things that are going to give, I mean, I'm sure you know, some of that stuff's got to hurt, you know, or maybe not, but, uh, they've got padding and all that on them. Man, I've been lied to. Oh, really? Maybe not. <laughs> let, me, let me explain, let me explain a, re- a, pr- a typical professional wrestling ring for, for people uh-huh. listening. Because, uh, you know, it, it's always bothered me. I know in this day and age, like, kayfabe is dead. So right. everybody knows the inner workings of pro wrestling. But the one thing they've always argued is that the ring is like falling on a mattress or a trampoline. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Really? Okay. <laughs> the, the ring is usually 16 to 18 feet by 16 to 18 feet. Depends. Mm-hmm. Some people have 18 foot by rings. Some people have 16 foot by rings. Okay. With about 12 steel garters that go from you know side to side okay then you uh then you either put down like uh inch and a half plywood boards or one by 12 boards Mm -hmm. across that then you get an eighth of an inch of carpet padding okay and then the canvas and oh wow and then the wire or the uh the ropes themselves are actually cable wrapped in a garden hose and then wrapped with electrical tape Oh, wow. Is that and right? This is supposed to be the trampoline. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, I guess I heard wrong on that here. Oh, yeah. Jeez, you know. Um, always, always drove me nuts with that. The, the thing is, is that uh, the best way I can describe professional wrestlers mm-hmm. in reality is it, I very much call them athletes where a lot of people may not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's not real. You guys pull your punches. It's choreographed. You know the outcome of the winner. You're right. But at the same time, you can't fool gravity. We're oh stunt, yeah, yeah. We're stuntmen. We know how to pull the moves that could kill somebody, but mm-hmm. we also know how to land to protect our head and our tailbones and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's stunt. It's live action stunt work. 
Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, that, that's a good way to describe it. So um, it, it, it is, I mean, you're not playing a game for points, I guess, but, you know, you're playing a game as to uh, being able to land safely and, you know, put on a good show that way. And it's, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, you know gymnastics involved in it and, um, you know, lots of things, uh, lots of things. And, you know, you have to be training. I'm sure you've got to be in somewhat decent shape. I mean, even some of the heavier guys to be able to do that stuff, you know. I've known, I've known wrestlers that uh, were – 250 300 pounds like they they were big blubber dudes mm-hmm. that could go on a ring and do a fourth uh t- you know the top rope and do a 450 splash of course Jeez. my skinny ass wasn't laying there to take that move I, <laughs> you know and, I'm just, and you just sit there amazed it's like god how do you get that much athleticism being that heavy since i retired from wrestling i've put on like 40 pounds oh wow <laughs> and, and it, i feel my body scream at me for it Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How these people are able to do that wrestling it makes no sense to me. Right, <laughs> right, right. Now, now, what what uh, leagues were you wrestling in all these years? Like, what what? Um... Do we have that much time on the show? Sure. No, nah, I've wrestled. I've wrestled everywhere from uh, New Jersey to Colorado and from New York to Florida. Okay, all, and okay. all points in between. I mean, I guess some some uh, places of note. I've done three dark matches for ECW. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who don't understand a dark match means and no i was not on tv i was i was entertainment fodder for the beginning of the show before they started recording oh sure okay in other words i was a local boy they picked up and beat the shit out of just to entertain you people that paid mm-hmm. the tickets and were waiting for the actual show to begin um <laughs> i've wrestled for pennsylvania wrestling alliance bad boys of wrestling out of uh out of kansas i've wrestled for uh Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling and Mile High Pro Wrestling out of uh, Colorado. Okay. Uh, you know, I've wrestled, uh, I can't remember the name of the federation. Uh, if my buddy Ron Starr was around, he'd be able to tell you. But mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a federation out of Maryland, and uh, they actually owned the WrestleMania three ring. They bought the actual ring from WrestleMania three. Is that right? So was- that that was a kind of a cool highlight to wrestle in the ring that, you know, Hogan slammed Andre in. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> was it Maryland championship wrestling? Is that what it was called? Maybe it might've been it, it yeah. so many years. It was back during the beginning of my career. So I definitely want to say somewhere around like 98. Okay. You know, okay. That, that, okay. Uh, that, that happened. And I only worked for the Federation once. So sure. That's sure. not sticking into my head, but I mean, I've worked for, uh, you know, CCW, I've worked for DWF Loco out of Pensalkin. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've been all over. <laughs> right, 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 right. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, there's so many wrestling, uh, I, I guess, leagues or wrestling groups out there and everything all over the place. And I tell you what, even those smaller uh, federations, they do draw some people. I mean, the fan bases are just, you know, they're pretty solid. They are pretty solid. I know some people that have done, you know, the Maryland championship wrestling and, uh, you know, they do get some good crowds and some pretty consistent fans coming to them. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, I always compared like independent professional wrestling, which is what I was. I was an independent wrestler, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I've always compared that to like college football. Right. Right. NFL, like the WWE, AEW, that's, that's the NFL. That's yeah, the guys yeah. that made it, that are big time. They got the mm-hmm. contracts. They got the money. They got the fame and fortune. Then you go down to the uh, independent circuits. That's college. Right, that's right. Wanting what they have. So they put on – they may not have the pyrotechnics. Their, their, their companies may not have the money. But mm-hmm. for $10, $15 a ticket, you're going to see some of the 
best professional wrestling up close and personal that yeah. you possibly see because we're out there trying to earn what them guys have. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like, you know, like you were saying with college football, you know, those guys are really hungry and they're trying to get to that level. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, you really see a lot, I guess people really putting a lot of effort into uh, stepping up their game and everything, huh? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I would, I would always recommend them. And this is no disrespect to AEW or, or sure. WWE or anything like that, but I would always recommend somebody save 90 bucks. Mm-hmm. And go over to Quakertown Mart and go watch Trip WA on on Saturday nights. You know, they may be in a farmer's market, but I guarantee you're going to walk out of there satisfied because not only are you going to see some great shows, the wrestlers always come out and interact with the, with the fan base. So you're going to get a chance to get autographs and pictures and your kids get to shake hands with the wrestlers and hold one of the championships. And I mean, it's, it's a very interactive experience for $10, $15. And right, that's, not, right. that's not just, you know, Quaker town and, and Trippy WA, that's pretty much any independent circuit you could think of. Yeah. And it seems in recent years, it's really been making a comeback in popularity. Um, a lot more people have really been getting into it. I mean, I guess everything kind of goes in leaps and bounds and peaks and valleys and everything, but it seems like it's really having an upswing of popularity from a lot of people I've spoken to. Oh, absolutely. I, just like everything else in this world, pro wrestling has its, uh, it, you know, its ebbs and flows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Hogan's era brought it into the mainstream and then it kind of died out until the attitude era, mm-hmm. you know, and then that kind of died out into the PG era that we're in now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's kind of getting ready to make its transition again. And then especially after this COVID thing ends out and people right. get back yeah. to putting on shows, I mean, it's got, I guarantee it's going to explode because everybody, oh. Everybody that's still active in the scene is chomping at the bit to get a show out. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Um, I, I really think that things are going to come roaring back with a vengeance, you know, all, all entertainment um, when it come, when the COVID, uh, you know, thing is over, when we're able to, uh, you know, definitely know that we have a vaccine and we can prevent this thing from spreading and it's, it's safe to kind of gather again. Um, right. I mean, I, personally, you know, this year I kind of took a beating too because I have a murder mystery company. And we perform on trains, you know, dinner trains and boats. Oh, you really do those? You really do those things where, like, the actors sitting there with the people eating, and then all of a sudden the lights go out, and the actor when the lights come back on, the actor's laying with his face in the plate with a knife in his back. Well, who did it? Similar, similar. It it, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, it's it's a story. You know, we we do a story. You know, uh, several acts or several scenes. And uh, there's a there's a murder. It's usually something absurd, uh, like a tennis racket through the head or um, something like that. Then we have to figure out who did it, you know, and the, the mystery part, the, you know, that's the mystery part of it. And um, yeah, we, we were having you know, regular shows. I was able to employ 20 actors last year doing it. And then this year it's been nothing, you know, just because of COVID. Because the thing is, it's like, you know, the venues we do these in are like moving Petri dishes. They're so small. Um, everybody's like crammed together and it would just be so risky to have all those people in there watching. It's even really difficult to social distance in those things too. And to, and then plus, you know, the actors can't have masks on, you know, with the trains going clackety clack down the tracks, it's hard enough to hear anyhow, you know, let alone with masks over your face, kind of muffling your voice and stuff, you know, I'll, so, I'll tell you what, the only, the only entertainer I think that is benefiting from COVID and the masks and being able yeah. to put on a show, they, I would think they'd be able to put on a show and it would actually benefit their show is ventriloquists. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I had a guest on my podcast not too long ago, uh, Sam Quasman, 
who uh, was active with Disney for a long time. And um, not only did he do uh, the Donald Duck voices for a number of years, um, he also did the Disney on parade shows. And a lot of times when those characters are out there running around the arena, you know, somebody's backstage doing their voices, you know, and the voices are coming through the PA system. And um, I mean, that's a pretty safe way to do it. I would think, you know, first of all, the actor that's out there is bundled up in a giant costume and, all the everybody else is backstage doing the voices for it, you know, but it, it's amazing how, um, if people can kind of really grow through these wrestling federations and there's, you know, it seems like there's lots of opportunities for growth and to kind of move up to the next level. Um, when I was a young man, there was, a, um, I, I started out playing in bands too, and I'll get into your bands and talking yeah. about that in a little bit here, but, um, that's right. We'll torture uh, each other. Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, a couple of friends of mine had um, a band, and a fellow by the name of Brian Knighton was their manager. He okay. was a guy about our age, and um, he ended up being Axel Rotten. Oh, and wow. the, yeah, and he was—he's a Baltimore boy. He was a Baltimore boy, and um, I've met you know, Axel, but I never knew his real name. Yeah, yeah, and I—I uh, I met him. You know, I, I knew him for a number of years, and then I kind of lost touch with him. And I knew he w- had been involved in like some uh, like lower level wrestlings uh, that were done in some nightclubs and things um, you know, like the, uh, oh, I guess like the uh, you know, Tall Cedars Hall, that type of thing, where, or um, like armories, you oh, know. We've wrestled everywhere we can, man. I mean, uh, yeah. I've, known yeah. show- I've known shows that have performed out in uh, dog racetracks and, and mm-hmm. out in the, uh, in the barn areas of a farm. You know, right. and of course, you know, when we talk about Philadelphia pro wrestling, which would tie into Axel Rotten, mm-hmm. uh, you talk about things like ECW. That was a that was world famous for a bingo hall in South yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So those types of venues. And then I had lost touch with them over the years. And um, then I was Christmas shopping one year. And I'm in the toy aisle. And I think it was maybe a Walmart or maybe it was Ames or whatever it was back then. And I'm looking for toys because I have, you know, younger cousins and everything. And I was looking for some toys and I happened to look up and I was like, Axel Rotten, a, a, a figure. Brian has a figure. <laughs> oh my God. I hadn't seen him in years. I, and I called you know, my buddies up. I was like, did you see that Brian has a doll? You know, he's Axel Rotten and he's, you know, in, in the stores, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's doing real good. He's over in Japan right now or something. And I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. And then I, um, I, I, um, we were out at a show one time. I took my younger cousin to see my friend's band play, and uh, Brian or Axel happened to be there, and he introduced the band. And, um, again, I hadn't seen him for a couple more years past the time I saw it in the toy store. And my cousin says, oh, that's Axel Rotten. He's in my video game. I was like, Brian's in video games now? Holy cow. Yeah. He was was doing good. He was a heck of a nice guy to know. You know, unfortunately, you know, he's passed away now. Um, A couple of years ago, you know, there was just um, just some, uh, you know, ran into some hard times and then just never really got out of it. But um, just that. Just a heck of a nice guy, a pleasant guy to talk to all the time. Very friendly. Uh, did you say you knew him or you knew of him? I, I've met him. I, I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I didn't know him like I wasn't a friend of his that we would hang out in the circuit together. Right. I've right. Been a couple shows that he'd been on, and I've talked to him in the locker room, like, "Hey, how you doing?" 
mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I, uh, you know, it was kind of more social than than friendly, you know, type deal. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah, I, know, yeah. I know of him, but I I didn't know him intimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was just a real shame and everything. You know, he just he was an he was only I think maybe like forty five or something. Just you know, pretty young guy and just a very nice guy too. Well, and, the, best way, the best way to describe it, like like you said, unfortunately, he just he he found demons that he couldn't escape, and yeah, that ha- happens more often than not, in, yeah, especially in professional wrestling, and it's a damn shame. And it actually brings a point where when I was a kid, you wanted to get into music. Um, when I was a kid, I was always in bands and stuff like that, but I would lie to my mother. Mm-hmm. My mother encouraged me to learn to play guitar and play piano. And, and you know, she uh-huh. did kind of encourage my singing when I got picked up in the school choir and stuff um, as a young kid, but she never wanted me to be a rock musician when I started leaning towards rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And heavy metal. Uh, because of the fact, in her, her, her own words, every musician dies at an early age of drug overdoses. Yeah, you know, and of course that's true because a lot of my idols—Jimmy Hendrix, Janis Joplin, uh, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison—all twenty-seven dead of drug overdoses. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I knew where she was coming from. When I became a professional wrestler, I was scared to death to tell her. I never told her until right, right. I, until I was moving out to Colorado, which at the point is where she was living. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I was moving out there and I was going to be socializing with my mother, she's going to know what I'm doing on a Friday. Oh yeah. Night. So I've got to tell her. And I remember the day that I, I, I'm on a pay phone. I was out walking around. I'm like, I got to call my mother. And kids, back in the day, there was phones hanging on walls and shit. Yeah, yeah. Put money in and make a phone call before mm-hmm. cell phones. Uh, <laughs> I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I finally, like, I, I got to work up the courage. And it was literally at the corner of Cotman and Castor Avenues in Northeast mm-hmm. Philly. That I picked up the payphone. Actually, I went into the corner store next to the payphone to get a, uh, a calling card because I knew I was calling long distance. And went to the payphone and called my mother. And I was like, Mom, I, you know, I'm moving out there in a couple weeks. She's like, yeah. I said, I've got to tell you something before I come, you know, because I don't want you to be shocked. She says, oh, oh what? And I, I guess she was thinking I was going to say I'm gay or something. Right, um, right. You know, and I'm like, well, mom, uh, I've been a professional wrestler at this point for about three years. And uh, I've been doing active shows and I'm not giving that up while I'm moving to Colorado. When I get out there, I'm going to find a federation to work for and stuff like that. And she was silent on the phone. And I'm sitting there like, here it comes. Here it comes. And all that came out of on the on the receiver was, I always thought you'd get into some form of acting. <laughs> <laughs> Completely the opposite expression that I expected to hear from my mother because she mm-hmm. hates musicians for drug overdoses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pro wrestlers, steroids, champagne, and painkillers. Like, come on, you really? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I know. That's the truth I, with all those things. Um, yeah, I, it, it definitely. If you, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people that were actually in the business that the Mickey Rourke movie was very accurate. It is. Um, and, and, and you know, what's funny is I wouldn't even say it's accurate in the sense of like uh, the drug use, although the drug use is very accurate. I, but especially as when you look at a lot of the older wrestlers that have been on the top and they come back down. Yeah. yeah. Rourke's uh, depression mm-hmm. was very real. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've known a lot of guys in the business, whether they've made it to the E and back or whatever. I've known a lot of guys that after a couple of years, like it really takes its toll on you mentally too. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the reasons why I walked away while I still had some of the, you know, marble still in the bag. Sure, sure, sure. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I can totally understand what you mean about the uh, you know about the parents and the musician thing. Having been a musician myself, um, you know, and getting my start in playing music in the eighties, you know, with the long hair, you know, the hair bands and stuff that I was in. And then I kind of got into a band that was more like the cult in the nineties, okay. uh, sort of a different sound. Um, but my parents were from the twilight zone sixties. They weren't from the Woodstock sixties. If you know what I mean, they were the leave it, the beaver. Yeah. Yeah. The more, uh, you know, the more clean cut sixties, you know, uh, they thought the Beatles looked, like the most disheveled people they'd ever seen in their life when they were out in 64, you know, let alone what happened, you know, as, as they got older or, or you know, farther down the line. And, um, and two, you know, uh, where I was from, you know, the sixties, you know, drugs got into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people that got into the hippie lifestyle, a lot of them didn't make it out. And there were a lot of people with problems in our area right. uh, that my parents saw that. And they were concerned that I was going to throw away my education and, you know, make bad choices and get into that. Um, but I did, I mean, I ended up finishing my education and having something to fall back on as well as, you know, being able to play music and stuff like that. So you were the smart one. Right. Well, I guess so. Uh, you could call me that, I guess. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, that, 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 I, a lot of parents have those concerns, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, yes, you know, when I was playing in bands and I stayed after hours, after some of these shows, I saw cocaine lines, the, the size of the 50 yard line, at, you know, or the, or the, the length of the foul line at Camden yards. Um, you know, I saw a lot of those things going on and I saw a lot of people die from that stuff too. Oh, it's such a different world, isn't it? It is. It when you're, really when you're is. on stage, it's such a different world. Like a lot of people don't understand yeah. it. And I'm sorry, these hip hop artists, you'll never understand it. You'll yeah. never understand being a nobody playing clubs. And you just hit that right mark with the right group of people. Like, uh, like I did with my last band, just losing purity. We were at this one with this one bar mm-hmm. and uh, we were, we were one of three bands that were on, but we were kind of quote unquote, the headliners. Right, right. And I say quote unquote because we were the third band on, but we we weren't the most known band there. Yeah. And yeah. the people we just put on a performance that the people absolutely loved. Now, sure. at the time, my future ex-wife was there at the show. <laughs> I say future ex-wife because we were intending to get married back then. She's my ex now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, while she's sleeping in the back and all that, I'm doing the show because she didn't really care about my music. You right. know, um, I get off the stage. And I've got this biker chick in Colorado. I got this biker chick coming out of nowhere, begging me to kiss her and her biker boyfriend ready to kick my ass. If I don't, while I'm sitting there trying to tell him I'm engaged, that's my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) It is such a weird world to be a musician. It It is. It is. I mean, I, I can tell you some great stories too. Um, you know, I mean, some silly stories and some pretty damn grim ones, you know, from what I've seen and going on the road and stuff like that, you know, cause we would play, you know, mostly in Baltimore, DC was our corridor, but then we would get up to New Jersey and we would do New York, Virginia from time to time, you know, kind of get into those It went down to Florida once and, um, and man, did we travel like a bunch of hobos back then too, you know, um, oh, yeah. I'm surprised I didn't kill a whole bunch of friends of carbon monoxide poisoning. Cause we would ride in the back of a rider truck whenever we went somewhere, you know, <laughs> you know, there's just a big box with a, there was a hatch that would, you know, I guess we would keep the hatch open. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that led to the, uh, you know, up to the uh, driver's compartment. 
Um, but we would make sure that, I mean, you know, good Lord, if we went through the Lincoln Tunnel and they pulled us over and they saw that, they would probably think we were smuggling, you know, uh, people <laughs> or trafficking or something like that, you know. You're mewling for the cartel. <laughs> but that was, our, that, was our, uh, that was our road trip whenever we would go from Baltimore and come up and play CBGBs or something like that. You know, that was our entourage. That's how they got up there. I'll tell you what, pro, pro wrestling is no different, too, because as you're describing the rider truck, I'm thinking about freezing my ass end off uh, with my manager at the time in yeah. the back of a pickup truck that is uh, dragging the uh, the wrestling ring from Denver, Colorado, down to Pueblo in the sure. winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and me and, like, me, my manager, and, like, three other people are all huddled together in the bed of, a, of an, uh, like, an F-150 yeah yeah harps over us trying to keep us warm going down the highway to pueblo to do a show it's not too different <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead yeah, so, so it was kind of like john candy and steve martin and planes trains and automobiles in the back of that pickup when they were going from uh to the yeah. people train that's yeah. the hog train you know <laughs> yeah absolutely as a matter of fact, there's probably been a couple of times where somebody may have mistaken butt cheeks for pillows, just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sleeping in crapo hotels, a bunch of us crammed into a bed. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, we really lived that life back then. Yeah. I mean, thank God it wasn't like a continuous tour. It was just like, you know, like, like a weekend with maybe two towns or something like that. But that was enough, though. Right. It was enough. It was enough to get a taste of it. But truthfully, you know, a lot of these bands that were big back then are kind of doing what I call the senior circuit now, the festivals in the summer. Right. And um, they're not in these giant luxurious tour buses anymore. You know, they're renting minivans and they're renting PA and gear just showing up and doing it, you know, um, much like we did back in those days. You know, um, if you saw the Quiet Riot documentary that came out a number of years ago with Frankie Benelli, Right. Yeah, that, that's kind of how they were doing it, you know. Um, you know, and uh, but there's, there, there was just so many. I mean, what what era were you playing in? I was I was the '90s. Uh, okay. I, well, technically, I'm still doing it. I mean, I right, I, right. You know, because I, I still write. I'm actually doing a solo album that I'm hoping to have done by Christmas. Okay. Uh, and I'm I'm toying with industrial age, but I mean, like mm -hmm. when I first started, really getting out of the garage and trying to perform i'd say it was 93 94 is when okay. i started okay right 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 so i was right on the cusp of the uh the end of the hair era and the beginning of the uh the seattle scene. yeah bingo so. okay so that's the time frame i'm talking about here because i started out in like um really playing out around 86 87 and then I kind of went on until about 94 is when I stopped for the first time. So I was in that range as well. Right. And the thing that you really mentioned that's really funny was that you're absolutely right. Because i got a great story, if you want to hear it, about um, yeah. the end of the L.A. era going into the Seattle. Actually, nobody really knew what was next after that. So Right. And I'm, I'm sure you probably saw these guys, too. Um, we were sitting in a bar one night. We were getting ready to play. And, um, this guy comes in, he was about five foot two, but probably about six foot three with his hair. <laughs> and, uh, and he had like the, uh, Seinfeld puffy shirt on yeah, open. Um, he had the spandex, he had the, uh, leather belt with the handcuffs I think I and did all that shit. Yep. And his, and his girlfriend was with him pretty much dressed the same, except she had a skirt. Okay. And, um, so he comes over to us at the bar and he goes, Hey dudes, you guys like in a bond. And we're like, yeah. And he goes, well, I've been in lots of bonds. 
Orleans and I've played here and I've played there. And, and you know what? I'm from LA. And his girlfriend looks at him. She goes, you are not, you're from Pittsburgh. He goes, <laughs> and he goes, yeah, well, look at me. I should be from LA. Even back then we had posers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time, big time. And I've had how my- about you? How about you? I got to hear, I'm sure you've got plenty of band stories. Like, I remember getting my ass chewed out one time at a bar uh, that I uh-huh. wasn't performing at. I was a, it was a local bar. I was hanging out with another musician buddy. Right, right, and right. We were, just, we were just talking shop. My band, Disillusion Purity, and his band, which I can't remember, it was a Kiss cover band. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, we're just we're just talking shop, and this old head dude comes over and he just starts chewing us out and shit about that we don't understand what it's what it's like to be in the music business. And I understand. I'm in my 30s at the time. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? And I've been I've been in in and out of band since I was 13 years old. I'm not saying I'm an expert in any way, shape, or form, but it's like mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten it down by now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I understand that just because I don't have a record deal doesn't mean I'm not a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, or or in some semblance a, a success. You know, because I I learned a long time ago from pro wrestling and from music, the level of success doesn't matter. The success is you went out and did it. Right, right, right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh, so this guy's giving me so much shit about it and everything else. And I'm like, well, who the hell are you? You know? And, yeah. and what was funny is it turns out he was the drummer from fucking Maroon 5. <laughs> to which I still said, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I didn't listen to Maroon 5, you know? But I just thought it was funny because uh, it reminded me of back in the day, I was in a band uh, out here in Philadelphia. I was in a band called No Remorse. Okay. And my wife now currently remembers it. She remembers uh, going to, you know, a Bennigan's and seeing me perform. <laughs> Bennigan's, right? Yeah. Me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I did a battle of the bands against a, uh, a band. There was a whole bunch of different bands, but uh, one of the bands that most people will recognize out of Allentown. Mm-hmm. And they had just gotten off the stage and I, I, the lead singer walked past me and I was like, dude, nice set. And they're like, let's see if you could do better. <laughs> we whooped their ass and won the battle of the bands mm-hmm. later on though that band my band broke up and that band went on to be live oh wow wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i guess he kind of won in the long run but i still gave him a little humility that night <laughs> right 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 yeah there, there there was a number of bands that um used to drive me nuts not that they weren't good but the problem was was that um you know in the in Baltimore, there was like the big, the the Cadillac of nightclubs was called Hammerjacks. It was a really, really big club. It was like a concert hall, actually, with a bar on the other side. Okay. And that was where the big bands came to play. The ones that weren't quite doing arenas, you know, Cheap Trick would play there. And at the time, Deep Purple. And they were like a like the bigger club level bands, Kicks, um, that kind of thing. And then there were some other clubs out there that weren't quite the same size, but they were um, just like maybe triple A baseball, you know, Hammerjacks was the major leagues. You know, this was like triple A and you know, we would have a show lined up. We're like, all right, man, we have a Friday night at this, at this room. And then crap, man, skin and bones is coming down from New York and playing Hammerjacks. There goes all the girls. There they go. You know, um, 
because there was a couple of bands like Tommy and the Love Tribe and Skin and Bones. I don't know if you remember them from that time, but they were regional bands. Sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, they were they were hair. They were definitely hair bands. They were kind Not of. That I um, have anything against hair. I love hair bands. In fact, yeah. I've had I've had a conversation uh, with Mike Peacock, uh, who who does uh, a music podcast, a heavy metal podcast uh, out of Seattle. Okay. I had a, I had a, did a show with him and I had a full on conversation about like, it doesn't matter what style of music you're into, especially in modern times of yeah. metal. Mm-hmm. We all have that hair band song that we will not turn the channel on. Oh, that's right. You're right about that. You're <laughs> absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you definitely said it. You definitely said it. You know, we, and, and the thing is too, is like good is good as well. You know, um, whether it, you know, depending on what, you know, doesn't really matter what style it is. Good is good. And, um, as long as it's good, you know, people are going to listen, you know, if it sucks, you know, uh, you could be the biggest music snob and have the biggest, the highest opinion of yourself, but if you suck, you suck, or if you can't write, you can't write, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. But, well, um, the world I came from to give you an example, the world I came from when I was growing up, my grandmother and my mother were the ones that were mainly my influence into into music okay and when i say mainly influence is like i grew up listening to glenn miller in the 50s and 60s so i was listening to like the everly brothers and and mm-hmm. elvis presley and and the beach boys and stuff so i was already getting a taste of like you know as i'm learning music i'm already getting a taste of like the classics the old right 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 golden age and then you know when i was in the fourth grade and my arm got shattered in a fight you know, and I'm spending wow. time in fraction, you know, in, in traction and then in a cast and everything else. Mm-hmm. My family decided to, because I couldn't do much that summer when I got out of the hospital, uh, to get cable. And okay. I discovered MTV. Oh, boy. Yeah. And the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I, I remembered to this day, and it was, it was, you know, after watching this music video was literally the first time I saw this band. Mm-hmm. first time I saw this video because it was premiering and at the end of that video I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and wow. to the point that I even performed the song at a school talent show in the following year <laughs> and that song was Born to Be My Baby by Bon Jovi oh yeah yeah yep I remember that song <laughs> I remember that song I saw them um god I saw them with Rat down in D.C around that time and then I saw them a couple years later with Skid Row at the uh it was called the Capitol Center. It was the uh, it was the arena down in the D.C. area, and um, God, I remember that. If I had stubs of all the concerts I went to, too, you see a lot of people posting pictures of the con of the uh, ticket stubs they had back then. I had some great ones too over the years. I wish I still had them. I might still have them somewhere packed away. But uh, one of the all time best concerts I ever been to was uh, nineteen ninety four at the Sony Blockbuster Music Center in Camden, New Jersey, which. Is now mm-hmm. the Camden Waterfront Center or something. I, I don't know. They changed the name every other. Is it the BB and T Pavilion? Yeah, the BB and T. I've been there. Yeah, I saw Deep Purple there. Judas Priest like two years ago. Yeah. In 1994, I went and saw uh, Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie. Is that right? Oh my God, that was the greatest show I've ever been to. To this day, I still compare it to that. And wow. I've, I've been to Ozfests and I've been to Pink Floyd, but mm-hmm. there's something magical about that show. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. I, I hear you. You know, um, I, I, I understand what you mean about that because I, I, there's been a number of concerts that have really just stuck out to me as like, you know, the ones that were just, I feel are the greatest ones I've ever been to, you right. know? And then, um, 
and now I've, I've, I've kind of got my bucket list going and everything. The last couple of years, I've been going out and seeing all the guys that are like 72 and that I used to like when I was younger that I may have not gotten a chance to see back in those days. And, um, it's kind of like one of these deals. It's like, I've never seen the Rolling Stones live and I've been to three of their concerts. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't it something though? Um, you know, you know, um, for a long time, I didn't bother going to concerts, but I was like, I, when 2016 came around and like everybody died. Yeah. You know, oh, it was wow. like, it was like every day, somebody I loved growing up died. And I was like, shit, you know, I, I better take a look and see who is, uh, you're not wrong. 2016 was bad. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Actors and musicians and like everybody was just dropping like two yeah. or three a day. I, I remember. I remember being one of those people on social media talking about like, dude, we ride if fucking Betty White goes. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing too, was that, um, I was like, then, then I was thinking for a second there, maybe that was the rapture and we're all going to hell. Those were the ones that got through to heaven, you know, <laughs> something here, like that. And here we are in 2020. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, you know, that makes sense. There we go. There we go. Jesus. Yeah. That, that, that was a hell of a year. So I started getting into, uh, just catching up on bands, you know, maybe seeing some one more time or seeing some for the first time that I never saw. And, you know, they're all older and stuff and um, really seeing some great shows and, you know, being able to catch up and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, so the nine inch nails and Bowie was one of your favorite ones. What was, what are some other ones you really enjoyed? Uh, well, another one that comes to mind was the last show that I went to is I went to go see Ozzy during his, uh, his no more tours tour. Okay. What made it extra special was my 23-year-old son bought me the tickets. Is that right? And that what right? makes it even more special is my 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 girl, my wife, had never been to a rock show, so I was able to get her a ticket as well. Ooh. So it's literally her first rock show, and it's the first show my son and I go to go see together. You know, and, and we show up, and Stone Sour was on stage when we showed up, and it's like, okay, they were cool. You know, anything yeah. else, but Ozzy, even even at seventy years old, sixty nine years old, whatever at the time, man, he's still rocking it out. And then finally mm -hmm. having Zach Wild back in the band, and he's walking through the crowd pulling solos, and I mean, literally walking through the crowd, and you're just sitting there in mm -hmm. awe, like, dude, how how can anybody ever not like Ozzy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. saw him with Randy Rhodes actually right before Randy Rhodes was killed. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, yeah. Well, who nobody knew, you know. But then, um, yeah, it was right when, it, right before it happened. It was like within a week or something. Um, I know how you feel. I've I've seen Metallica. Uh, I'm one of the few blessed that got to see Metallica with Cliff still. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't see them. In, yeah, I saw him with Cliff too. Uh, they played at a club. It was a teen show in like '83 or 84 it was uh metallica wasp and armored saint oh um, shit what a great lineup that is yeah 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 that was in maryland um it was at a place called the network which is now a uh been torn down and it's a cvs and isn't that a shame too do you i mean i, I guess you pr probably have had the same experience when you look around and um you've probably driven past places that you used to play but they're no longer bars or they're no longer what they once were there's, or the building's gone or something like that. There, There's one that had a very special place in my heart as not only as a musician, but as a fan of music mm -hmm. uh, for years and years, it was off of uh Philmont and Boston Avenue in, in Northeast Philly. It was called John's boardwalk and grill. 
Okay. Which later it became uh, Whiskey Tango and, and then went through a whole bunch of different names and stuff. And it, it's really heartbreaking because mm-hmm. back when I was still in the music scene in Philadelphia, you could pretty much write your ticket if you could play and nail a gig at John's. Okay. Okay. Get, a, get in and everything else. No remorse got to play. And wouldn't you know, we broke up on stage at John's Boardwalk and <sighs> literally in the middle of a set, we broke up. You know, it was terrible. <sighs> But uh, that's that's yeah. I had a I had somebody quit during a show one time. We ended up having to play the rest of the show with one instead of two guitars. I mean, luckily it wasn't the drummer or somebody that was unique, like the singer left or you know. I walked off stage because my lead guitarist was fucking up timing and everything else. Because since we're playing John's, he wants to be extra uh, impressive. And he's yeah. pulling solos that weren't written in the songs in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And he's making all of us look like jackasses while he's trying to shine his own brats, you know. Yeah. And it pissed us off so much that I wound up ramming my vintage V, Flying V guitar, into one of the fucking uh, uh, posts oh, that by the stage and just walked off. And that was the end of No Remorse. Oh, Jesus. But I mean, I remember, I remember going to see Warrant there uh, during their dog-eat-dog tour. Uh huh. You know, and, and watching Janie Lane get punched square in the face by a drunk ass that walked up on stage and just stalked him. You know, and <laughs> I walked by the tour bus uh, leaving me and me and my buddy, and uh, I forget his name, but the uh, the bassist of Warrant was hanging mm-hmm. out the window, and we were just like, "Yo, is Janie okay?" You know, having a conversation with him. We got invited on the bus. <laughs> and hanging out with Warren, you know, simply because we just asked if Janie is okay. <laughs> mm, wow, no kidding. You know, so I mean, there was so many memories to John's, and then just one day it was gone. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was the thing too. Um, it was the same thing with Hammerjacks. I mean, because the people would actually, when they would finish playing, they would come out and just walk amongst the crowd and hang out and drink beer and and do whatever and um and you could talk to people and you know they would talk to you and sign for you and everything and um hammerjacks ended up getting torn down because they they built the uh raven stadium there it was torn down to make room for that okay um but and 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 you know something too i don't know if you've if this is going on around you too but let me ask you about this has there been any effort to bring back or some people say they want to bring back this great club that was there, like maybe rebuild it and have it again. You know, not really. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. My last band again, uh, Dissolution Purity, we, we had uh, built up enough popularity in Colorado uh-huh. that we got invited to be the headliners at a uh, New Year's Eve party at the X Saloon. For right people people listening that that are in Colorado you know what I'm talking about when it comes to excellent that's KBPI mm-hmm. you know hard rock and heavy metal FM station out out there in Colorado right, that, right. there's there's their stomping ground you know uh-huh. and and be, being on a KBBI uh sponsored uh concert event at this bar excellent on New Year's Eve and mm-hmm. being the headline band, dude, we were psyched. We were like, oh, my God, we're going to get everybody there. This is going to be awesome. And two days before the concert, x decided instead they were going to go with a DJ. Uh... They canceled <laughs> the whole entire concert and went with a DJ because people want to dance. They don't want to listen to new music. Right, right. Well, that, that that's an issue, too. Uh, that, that's something else that you know, kind of – took the thunder out of playing original music. I mean, I think when I was playing, um, 
I would say probably in, you know, into like the, uh, like early mid nineties people, I think just didn't get into original, like local bands playing original music anymore. At least that's the way it was here. Right. Um, people, uh, in the eighties, you know, you know, a band, local bands would get up and play, you know, they would, they would have like a three band show and all three bands would play a set of originals or maybe, you know, a mixture. And uh, people knew their originals. They would be singing along with their originals. And uh, they, then they would go to other towns where they could, you know, play where they could showcase. But then after a while, people just stopped giving a crap, you know. Um, and do you remember, too, back then, before there was Facebook and before there was, like, uh, all this online places where you can invite if you wanted people to come to your show, you went to that club and handed out flyers. Oh yeah, not just the club. You went to you went to concerts. You you waited for you you waited for the line to queue up for people to go see fucking Aerosmith. Yeah, yep. just started handing out demos and flyers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just walking that line. Here you right. go. Check this out. Here you go. Check this out. <laughs> you stand there when the concert let out and hand things out to people too. Yeah, we we used to do all those things, and um, it was it, it was kind of strange because I played until '94. Okay. And then I took a break until 05 because I hadn't finished my degree. You know, I hadn't, I wanted to get myself really set in a job where I could, you know, have a career, get myself, finish my bachelor's and have some kind of stability in my life, you know, because I was tired of making no money. I was tired of living like a pauper. I was tired of being almost qualified to really have a decent, make a decent living. So I decided to just put things on hold and do that. And then I come back in 2005 and I felt like Rip Van Winkle <laughs> because, um, and I still have the same act I had back, a, a, an acoustic act, uh, a okay. duo, and we sing comedy songs that are original. And, oh, nice. um, kind of like Stephen Lynch. Right, right. That kind by the of way, thing. By the way, one of my all-time favorite comedians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, when I came back, you know, we, we booked some shows. We were doing some open mics. We booked some shows. So I went out to some of these places where we were booked and I'm handing out flyers and people are like, what the hell is this? It's a flyer. <laughs> we're playing. Read it. <laughs> oh, is this your band? Yes. We're playing here. Uh, see that, that that's me. That, that's Johnny. And that, that's us. You know, we're, we're playing here on that stage. We're going to bring our guitars and play music. Yeah. Oh, Okay. I'll tell you what, even, even in the modern days, though, there, there were some things that just make you feel better. about right. it. Again, with, with Disillusion Purity, that was kind of during the modern era. And what helped, I, which I argue with, with Facebook all the time, as far as they claim they'd be uh, very supportive of, of independent artists. Uh-huh. Right, you right. Know? And I don't agree because the, pers- the, 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 the social media that was truly supportive of independent artists was fucking MySpace. Yes, it was. I yes, remember was. dropping my demo on MySpace. And I, uh, quite mm-hmm. honestly, the success of my last band was MySpace. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean, there's nothing better than like even being a low level nobody band like like Disillusion Purity really was. You know, I'm not going to say that we were, you know, we were ready for the big deal and going on to- world tours and shit. We're not. But mm-hmm. like, there was something special about having the honor of have, seeing your name on the marquee at the Fillmore. You know, or even uh, mm-hmm. becoming kind of a house act for for a bar, you know, out in the Bumble Sticks. But every every table had a 
your band's photo in the little uh, drink thing. That yeah, right, right, it, right. There was always mm-hmm. something very, very surreal yet, you know, good feeling about seeing something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and people don't get it. It's like, yeah, you have to work. I, I would argue, like, as hard as we worked back in the day with slinging the, the flyers and the demos, I think it's harder for musicians to work now. Because, yes, it is. Yes, because it is. of the fact that, you know, like, like I said, I'm doing a, a solo album. I don't care. It's for free. When I release it, I'm releasing it for free because I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for notoriety. I'm just doing it to see if I can. Yeah, you know, yep. but it's also uh, it's also kind of a test to see what the world is like for musicians nowadays. And I'm not talking about, and I I, I mean no disrespect to anybody individually, but what I'm about to say is probably not going to be popular with a lot of people that are into modern music. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, as far as YouTube and the hip hop, you know, pop sensation bullcrap, that's not music, and you have no idea about the struggle it is to be a musician yep i agree whether it was back i'm michael the host of the semi-monthly podcast in a city like yours join me as i chat with interesting people with interesting life stories you can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms including apple spotify stitcher and TuneIn. you can follow us on twitter at I-A-C-L-Y-S podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think and keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. In the day or especially nowadays, because everybody's got this sensationalism of, of instant gratification. You don't know the struggle and the trial yep, yep. Of, of being a band playing nobody clubs to people who are drunk and don't give two craps about you to mm-hmm. finally lo- get your name out there enough times that one of the radio stations or one of the re- uh, independent record labels are going to be like, Hey, wait, let's go check these guys out mm-hmm. and wind up getting lucky. And most of us never got there. You're I, right. You're right. Everybody I, thinks it's a, uh, everybody thinks it's uh you win American idol or you show up to American idol, then you're on the show and then you get your big record contract and you, live happily ever after and no way no way but there's also a joy to it like there uh, is. We're, talk, we're talking right now i mean we could we could spend the next hour talking about this here is like as much as we're talking about going out and performing there was a labor of love just being in the garage writing yes there was yes there was and that was your plans for the weekend you know you would oh, have a big was. band practice you know you would you know, get together with everybody and, um, you know, you would spend hours together, you know, you'd be, you'd work for an hour or so, and then you'd take a break and sit down and come up with a game plan for the next, you know, hour or whatever you were going to work on. And it was really an event back then. I mean, um, I remember, I remember fucking having band practices and of course the neighbors heard you too, you yeah, know, yeah. and they'd get annoyed because of how loud you were and the cops would show up and the cops would tell you, you look, you got to keep it down. But at the same time, the cops would stand there and listen to the songs. They you would. Know? They would. I remember. I remember. You know, half half in the bag, drunk, working on a song and being so frustrated with the song because it wasn't coming together. We couldn't find the right ways of transitioning from court, verse to chorus and chorus yep. to bridge and all that. And then finally, we had one perfect playthrough. I got so excited, I went running around and went head first into the garage door. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and it, it's just like, there was a pure joy. There was a pureness in, in working together with your, with your, with your bandmates, your friends, your brothers and sisters, and being able to create this, this epic thing, which I don't care what style of music you're doing, but like by the end of it, it's so epic and so creative. And, and, and you're just amazed by the fact that you and your friends just made this happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. I agree. Man, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's enough people out there that appreciate that anymore. I know. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. I, there isn't, there really isn't. I, uh, I, I know, you know, you're, you hit it right on the head. You absolutely did. You absolutely did. But it was such, um, there, so many other things too, back in those days, you know, just, just, you know, about getting the word out and stuff like that. Um, I guess there were probably um, newspapers based on uh, the music scene in Philly as there were here. Um, there, there were newspapers, but I think uh, back, if you're talking back in the day, yeah. the biggest thing, the biggest thing, at least in Philly, and I'm sure it was probably this way in Baltimore too, the biggest thing that pushed independent bands, like unsigned, unknown bands back in the day, yep. was the local record stores. I'm not talking Rec- about yes, all the yes. wall sounded video or anything like that. I'm talking like the the hole in the wall record castles. Yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, record and tape traders uh, was one that was here. Oh gosh, what else was it? There's a number of other ones out there that are still kind of hanging on. Uh, but you're right. You're right. It was that, and then we ha- we also had a, a station called 97 <laughs> Underground that would play local metal uh, down here. That that was a station where. Um, you had to be kind of, it was kind of difficult to pick up outside of like a 10 mile radius. Uh, and, and it was on like um, <laughs> Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights to start. It would share the frequency with like a college radio station. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it would share the frequency and um, it would, uh, so the college station was on until eight o'clock or seven o'clock at night. Then from seven o'clock until seven the next morning, 97 Underground was on. And they would play local people's music. They actually put out an album with, I think, eight or ten local bands on it. Oh, very nice. Yeah, back in those days. And then, and then the more commercial rock stations started following suit. They would actually have, um, let me see, um, they would actually have like shows called, one was called Local Licks, one was called Noise in the Basement. And they would like on a Sunday evening from like, you know, eight until 10, they would play local bands on there. And once in a while, like a, a, a bigger local band would make the regular play rate rotation there. Uh, so, so there was some support back then. I'm not really sure how it is now since I don't really listen to terrestrial radio that much you know, anymore. I know, I know it's gone kind of underground and I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back here, yeah. this, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of do that myself. Uh, uh, besides doing the podcasting thing, and in fact, this was before the podcasting, I had discovered internet radio. I had a buddy who uh, started me off with, uh, on a show that I that I still do. That's called Raise the Underground. Oh, okay. And when I first started Raise the Underground, it was for Furious uh, FuriousRadio.com. Uh huh. And uh, you know, I, I I that was that was my niche. It's like, of course, I was playing rock and metal. But I also wanted people's demos. I wanted the underground acts to send me their stuff, and I would give them the airplay. Uh-huh. Right. But right. nothing in return. No, no rights. No, none, none of that crap. Just give me your demo, and I'll play it, and I'll put it in rotation. Uh-huh. Every time Raising Underground is on, your song will play. And yep. the ultimate, the ultimate idea was I wanted to have a two to four hour set show 
where I played nothing you hear on the radio. Oh, okay. Okay. It, yeah. never, got, it never got there. Uh, when Furious shut down, I wound up with uh, radiocastfm.com. And at that point, I was already doing uh, the podcasting too. So mm -hmm. I was doing Raise the Underground on Monday nights and Breaking the Fourth Wall on Tuesday nights on Furious Radio. Oh, wow. And uh, when that fell through, I stopped doing it for a while until an old pro, uh, pro wrestling promoter of mine from Colorado, who now is in Florida, yeah. started an internet radio program, uh, a station called Blind Cafe Radio. Mm -hmm. net and uh blind cafe it, it primarily is for people with with, with sight disabilities and stuff like that because he is he, he had a degenerative eye condition sure. you know, and he talked me into bringing raise the underground there so i do that on monday nights for, <laughs> for blind cafe radio and it's the, the goal is still the same like i'll play i'll play jesse blaze snyder's new album uh-huh right raise the underground and I'll, I'll play poseidon's anger out of colorado and i play you know, my old demo because I own the rights to them, you mm -hmm. know, but I'm still trying to get other local acts to send me their demos just to give them exposure. You know, I know a couple of people I could probably hook you up with if you're interested. Absolutely. They would wind up in regular rotation. Okay, sure, sure. I'll, uh, I'll get to work on this right away. Uh, yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, are you listening, Scarlet Angel and Rich Davis and a couple of you others out there? We're going to meet this guy. Absolutely. Come on Definitely. down, man. I, I, I want to give the exposure to everybody because of the fact of the matter is, is that I feel that the exposure for original rock and metal bands or even blues and jazz bands, mm -hmm. like real live musicians and live instrument bands is uh -huh. just non-existent. And I want to be one of the people that help. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I've got my mind is just moving a million miles an hour now thinking, um, cause a lot of my friends are doing comebacks now, you know, um, I, I don't know if you're seeing this too, but, um, we played back in the, you know, guys, our age, you know, we played back in the nineties, eighties, right. a lot of guys hung it up because here came the babies. <laughs> now the kids are out of school and they're grown up. And now all of a sudden we got the reunion thing going on. And I know quite a few people that are doing reunions now and they're starting to work together again. And, uh, you know, the good part is, is that they're playing clubs that close at 11. <laughs> <laughs> Got the early bird. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you know, what, this is what I wanted to bring up too, because this is where I was kind of going with the one thing. Um, right. They were talking about um, bringing back Hammerjacks, which, you know, it was an experience back in those days because you could go see the bigger metal bands Okay. And everybody knew each other down there. There was kind of a big hair, you know, hair and heavy metal scene in this area. Okay. And um, everybody knew each other at this big club. And it was an experience. It was an atmosphere. There was a feel to the place. And then it's been closed. And there's been, you know, nostalgic, you know, th with a lot of these bands coming back and touring and people you know, running into each other. And, I, and, and don't get me wrong, whenever, whoever does this venture, I wish the best of luck to because, you know, that club was a huge part of my years, you know, a big part of my life and a lot of fun and good memories. But you, you ever hear this, the phrase, you can never go home again? Yeah. Because I'm thinking, you know, now that we're all 50 and 60, you know, are we going <laughs> to be able to, to go to these, you know, to go out there and support it regularly? You know, um, a lot of the, you know, are they going to be able to have the bands they had back then? And the thing is too, is that, you know, sometimes we would get to the club at eight o'clock, the band would come on at like 1130 sometimes, and we're standing around and hanging out. And, um, you know, nowadays, you know, I, I've noticed this, especially with myself and some other people, we go to a concert, our asses are out of there at 11 and we're home in bed. 
<laughs> and, if, and if it's not a place where you can sit down, you're walking out of there after standing for two hours and your ankles are the size of telephone poles. Right. And um, so we've got to kind of think of the age of people too, if we were going to bring something like this back, you know, I mean, I hope it's successful and maybe new people get a chance to have this experience, but I just don't ever think it, you're ever going to truly go home again with that, you know, well, that, that, that's where I was going to go with it. And, you know, this may be a completely personal, uh, personal, uh, opinion. Okay. So I don't, I don't want anybody to take my, my words as gospel truth. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. You know, um, I always say that even about the lyrics I write, don't take them as gospel truth. I'm kind of like a Stephen King. I'm more of a storyteller than a, you know, than a, than a songwriter. Right. Uh, but when it comes to, when it comes to going back home, as you said, I don't ever imagine going back to a band I was in. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I guess I'm kind of the guy that's always moved forward that even if I were to say, say you and I discussed about creating a new band, mm -hmm. I would be more interested about you and me creating a new band than getting called up by, by everybody that was in disillusion purity 12 years ago. Right. Right. Uh, calling me up and saying, Hey, let's, let's do the next album. Sure, sure. Because that chat to me, that chapter is closed. Now, I'm not saying that some bands can't do that. Maybe they've had the success and the the glorifications, even in the, in the underground, that you guys could get back together and make something special. But yeah. me, I've always been the musician that said, "I'm going to play music till the day I die. I'm going to be the old fat dude in the bar, smoky bar, playing the blues for beers." Right. You right, know, right. and I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And 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 I've always been that way, but it's always been move forward. Mm -hmm. I don't want to create the next no remorse. I don't want to create the next uh, defenestrate or, or disillusion purity. I want to create the next next chapter of my musical uh, journey. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying with that. Um, there, there's we we've been bouncing around since a lot of people were doing the reunion thing. We've been kind of bouncing around. Um, bringing back Orange Seed Parade. That's the band I was in. That was kind of you know, like it's kind of like the cult buoy-ish type of thing and um we had a good size following in maryland and baltimore and in dc and um you know we were thinking about doing the reunion thing i've always been the solid yes vote <laughs> uh the singer was always the solid no vote and um you know, the, the guitar player and the drummer were always like Ohio and Michigan, the swing votes, you know, <laughs> I'll do one it. Would, yeah. You know, one <laughs> would go one way, one would, you know, and then, you know, we ended up never doing it, you know, um, it would be nice to have done it. But on the other hand too, you know, um, I've got a lot of things going on now that are better, you know, um, you know, some of the, you know, the television I've got to do, the acting I've got to do, the podcasting, um, and a thing that I like playing in an acoustic duo too, is the fact that, um, you know, you don't have, um, you know, four people and six personalities you know, to deal with all the time and people's quirks. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, four band members and eight opinions, you know, it's just you know, one of those things and none of them see eye to eye. So, um, I'll take, I'll tell you what, I, I do personally have a project that has been sitting on the shelf for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, that I've always wanted to do. Like, uh, like uh, the, the, the project I'm doing now, which right now is just simply titled Forgotten mm -hmm. uh, because it's been 12 years since I've been a part of a band, uh -huh. you know, and it's a solo project and it's really just me trying to see if I could even do uh, 
a Nine Inch Nails Beck style album where it's me recording everything together, putting it together and, mm-hmm. and kind of telling kind of like a poetry form lyrics, you know, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm proud of what's coming out. It's coming out better than I expected. I expected it to be hot garbage, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but it's coming out better than expected. I'm still nervous about it, but you know, right. I, I have released a single called close my eyes and it's gotten relatively favorable uh, reviews. Uh-huh. You know, uh, from the people that listen to it, you know, my mommy really likes it. Um, oh, <laughs> but I've had a project I've sat on for a very long time. One of the things that's very influential to me, uh, besides musically, like I've always been heavily influenced by like Jim Morrison of the Doors, for example. Uh-huh. You know, um, I've had an idea in my head for a very long time for a concept album. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, kind of along the veins of like Queen's Rights Operation Mindcrime. Or, or uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it, it, it's aptly titled The Cell. And uh, mm-hmm. what, what it is, is, uh, is I want to tell the story of three guys that are in a holding cell. Oh. And kind of go back. It, each song will tie into going back into how they wound up in that situation. And then the resolution of it is finding out the outcome. Because they're all waiting to go to court to be sentenced for something. Mm. You know, to, to find out if they're guilty, innocent, whatever. And the idea behind it, this is, this is loose base, but the idea behind it was one guy is going to get off who was guilty as shit. <laughs> one guy is going to get the book thrown at him, but he was innocent. Mm. And then there's another guy. The third guy is the guy who doesn't care. Huh. You know? And so it was three stories converging together into this one cell. Huh. And, and the idea behind it that I, that I thought about is really inspired by a, a band that I just mentioned, uh, Poseidon's Anger, uh, was my le- old lead guitarist in Disillusion Purity. That was his other band. Him and a buddy of his who plays drums collaborates with musicians from around the world Oh, to, uh, th- via the internet to record their tracks and release an album. They're, quite honestly, they're really huge in Germany and Europe. Interesting. Yeah, other parts of Europe. Um, in fact, I've written two of their songs to their, t- including the title track to their first album. I felt kind of special about that. Huh. You know, um, yeah, War of the War of the Gods was was their title track, and I I had written that, so I'm kind of proud of that. Oh, but, um, well, good. Yeah, but I'm inspired by them, where it's like, if I ever do this project, whatever this project may be, like I said, it's aptly titled "The Cell." I think I would want to try that and just get collaborations of musicians together to just create this thing and see if it could happen. Uh You know what I mean? So that's, that's always been something that's been on my back burner back in my mind for quite a while. Oh, great. Great. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you tonight. We've talked about all kinds of great things here, you know, and, um, but we didn't talk about one thing. Well, a couple things actually. What's that? We didn't talk about you. We didn't talk about me. Well, this is, this is, uh, this is, uh, for, uh, you, this is your episode that we're having here, but, uh, <laughs> you can ask me anything you like. Now I, I want to dig into your podcast. I want to dig into your acting career and your music career. It's your turn. Oh. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I, I told you a lot about music and everything. And, um, it, it's kind of funny how I got into, uh, acting, um, in 2011, um, I, I've been, I got back into music in 05 and, um, 
I was giving somebody a ride home from work, a coworker, and um, he says, you still sing and stuff, right? I said, yeah. And he says, well, we're casting Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, get out of here. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> um, at Baltimore Actors Theater. And he says, you know, we need people. And I said, well, yeah, I've never done a play, but I'd love to do it. You know, I mean, I, I always like the music to that. You know, it's always, a, it's, right. you know, the music's great. And um, so I ended up get, being in the um, ensemble, the Apostles Ensemble, as well as the um, the Apostles. And then I ended up being the Roman that did the 39 Lashes. Oh, wow. Yep. And um, so that, that was my first acting thing. And I met my wife my now wife, you know, during that production too, um, she was doing the choreography and the staging and she was in it. Um, she had shared the split, the part of, um, Oh, uh, Mary Magdalene with, um, somebody else, a couple of people rotated when they did that part. And, um, so, um, so this was my first, uh, actual play since like doing like little kid Christmas shows at church and stuff like that, you know, um, so I, I got into this part and a um, couple shows in and you can ask Don Smith about this. Okay. Because I told him this story and this is how he got the title to my episode on his podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> the thir- we have the 39 lashes part, you know, it's one, two, three. And you know, so I'm whipping Jesus. And we had him like, uh, you know, the back of his robe ripped open. We had his hands tied up on this like gallows thing. And for some reason, I don't know why. I mean, I was, I wasn't really hitting him, but the whole thing just fell over on the side. Oh no. And it was at like lash 18 or, or 13 or so. I still had like 20 some more lashes to go. So he's laying on the floor. And I'm still going, you know, 21, 22, you know, and then, um, finally I go back over to where I'm standing at attention and then pilot comes down and sings his part to him. And I happen to look over at Jesus laying on the floor and this was theater in the round. It wasn't theater on a stage theater in the round. I happened to look over, uh, where he's singing. I noticed on the bottom of Jesus's shoes, it said, hush puppies. (laughs) (laughs) so uh i told don that story and he said uh you know that the title of my episode is jesus wears hush puppies nice yeah (laughs) and uh and that was funny you know that was something and that that actor knows i've told this story before he laughs and um so after that i I just kind of got asked to do different things uh over the years uh some local commercials i had some people just ask me to do different plays um playing this part, playing that part. I've done you know, a good number of children's theater shows. Um, and that's really great playing for little kids. You know, little kids really love it. And um, they think it's the neatest thing in the world. And they believe. Yeah. They believe. And, you know, you're up there playing your part. And then afterwards, we'd be out in the lobby to shake hands with them when they were leaving to go back to their bus. And they're all giving you high fives. And they want to give you hugs and all that stuff. And, sure. um So, uh, I really enjoyed doing those shows and, um, I got to play Santa Claus one year in babes in Toyland. Oh, very cool. That was a regular thing that Baltimore actors theater did. And, uh, one year, um, I was Santa Claus. I played other parts over the years and, um, not only did the Santa Claus play Santa Claus on stage, but then afterwards he had to be out in the lobby to greet the children. Okay. So I had this line of kids and people would come over and, um, and I would say to the kids, I would say, well, hello. And they would be looking at me like, are you real? 
<laughs> and um, and I said, well, shake my hand. And I can shake your hand. I'm real. You can feel that I'm real. You're like, well, okay, okay. I believe you. Uh, what would you like for Christmas? Uh, I would like this, that, and the other thing. And I said, um, your parents told me you've been very good. And I spoke to your teacher the other day, too. And then they would like look at me with their eyes the size of dinner plates, like, he spoke to my teacher. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> and then I say, and your teacher gave me a good report, too. And then they're like, oh my God. So, um, you know, that was a, uh, you know, that was a good experience doing some children's theater. Um, I've done some commercials that were on the internet, like in the Baltimore area that were a lot of fun. And, um, I, I met a couple, a couple, the guys that I ended up doing it for ended up getting an account with a game that's called hunt a killer okay. and hunt a killer is a game where, um, you're hunting for a serial killer and you do it both online, but they send you a kit every month. Okay. And uh, I ended up doing some voiceover for the game. And I also um, filmed the first commercial. The first thing that they did is Hunt a Killer was actually a live event where they had a live scavenger hunt. And people would sign up and come out and they would hunt for clues all over this giant property. I think the place was actually a nudist camp during the summer. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I was where they hid, hid the murder weapon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to know, but uh, you should so, do it with a candlestick, Mister uh, Colonel Mustard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, a whiz. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, I I played a character, and you know the thing is with this, I I I I have a, I have the ability to turn the creepy on. Right. Is what people tell me. Um, so I was walking around and I was just wearing a t-shirt and jeans and work boots, but it was rainy. So my hair was just kind of hanging down on my face. Right. And I kind of had this, like, um, I just kind of had this look on my face. Like I was some old Southern guy who just, you know, hung out in the garage and you found dead bodies under his porch, you know? So I was kind of walking around like that. Right. And I can hear people saying, oh, my God, that guy is so creepy. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm not wearing a mask or makeup or anything. I'm like, God, is that what people think when I, like, go to the store and stuff? You know, so, <laughs> that so, why they keep pulling their children away from me. Right, right, right. So I had a um, – my, my character's name, it was Eddie. I forgot what the name was when I was describing this on another show, but it was Eddie. Okay. Eddie. And um, – at the very end of the scavenger hunter, towards the end, they actually had to, I had to go into to a cabin and I had to stand in this cabin and the lights were off, but they could look through the screen. If they really looked close through the screen, they could see what was in there. And what they had to do was figure out a puzzle to get the combination to the lock to open the door and come in and get a, um, a, a something that they could take to the next thing. It was like a key or something to take somewhere right. else. Okay. Right. So I'm standing there and, um, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, standing there staring at the screen and people are looking in and like some girl goes, Oh my God, it's that guy, Eddie again. Oh, good Lord. Is that guy creepy? Good Lord. That guy gives me nightmares. Oh God. I'm going to, and I was like, geez, a whiz. <laughs> so it's like, I got home. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and everything. I'm like, Oh my God, do I really, geez, am I really that bad? You know? So, um, so, uh, you know, there was that, and I'd done a couple of movies. I had some cameo parts and some movies that were filmed in and around Maryland. Um, and then um, 
I met uh, doing another local play, um, Otter Productions. Um, Otter Productions, I ended up uh, taking over for Herb Otter, who was the owner. Okay. And that's where I got my murder mystery company. Uh, we changed the name of the company to the Foul Players of Perryville. And it's spelled F-O-W-L um, because it's uh, – uh, Perryville, Maryland is right on the Susquehanna River. Okay. And uh, the Susquehanna River is known for its waterfowl. We have all kinds of ducks and geese and herons and eagles. And, you know, a lot of people do bird watching around here. So we figured foul play because it's murder. Right. And um, so we're called the Foul Players of Perryville. And we perform on boats and trains and um, you know, office parties, Christmas parties, fundraisers, charity events, whoever will have us really, you know, and, um, and I've got about 20 actors. They're all great people. I love them dearly. Uh, we also did Polar Express last year on the uh, Western Maryland Scenic Railroad. And I think, I think I want to join for the Christmas murder mystery. I want to be, I want to be evil, creepy Eddie dressed as Santa Claus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be awesome right there. <laughs> that, that, you, that's like, that's like Billy Bob Thornton and bad Santa, like just waiting to happen right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, yeah, I, I started doing you know, my acting and things like that and, you know, doing this, and then, um, you know, my wife had been represented. You know, my wife has had management for you know, a long time. She's also an actress, and she's been on Law & Order SVU. Oh, nice. um, she's had a number of national commercials. She does a lot of industrial, like, training films. and um, She hasn't been one of the victims in SVU, right? She was one of the people that led them to the people that led them to the murderer or rapist, right? <laughs> she was a jury foreman one time. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and actually, you know what? It was a very controversial decision. And when I got, when I was at work the next day, a bunch of people said, Hey, I saw your wife on TV last night. We all wanted to reach through the screen and choke her after reading that jury decision, you know, oh, the verdict, you know, one of them deals, right? Technically, yeah. somebody didn't cross across a T or dot an I and the person gets off and is like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Her name is Teresa Cantone. And, um, she she's done uh she was also in like the national like one of the national Jardians commercials she's in that promo for on the case with Paula Zahn um god she's done a number like one for like a lottery or it was like an insurance company um some local things like for Horizon services in and around like between me and you like those areas like that right. like Delaware uh Philly Baltimore region um, so she, she's done a lot of things too. Her name's Teresa Cantone. Um, she came up studying at the, uh, Jupiter theater in Florida. Okay. And, um, so she's done lots of things and that's, that's where I met her. It was doing superstar. Um, she'd been represented by CPM talent management out of Voorhees, New Jersey, which isn't far from Philly. Right. And so, um, I was reading for her when she was doing a tape at home audition. So I was reading for her. And her management said, hey, you know, your husband's got a pretty good voice. Um, what does he do? And, and she said, well, he's an actor and he's a musician. So they said, why don't you bring him in for an audition? And I was like, oh, yeah, right. They're going to want me. Okay. <laughs> you know, and um, so I was like, you know something? This is probably the only chance I'm ever going to get. Because when I was playing music, the, the music industry ate me up, spit me out threw me across the room like a rag doll. I got rejected in every possible way you could. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm just going to give it my all. So they gave me some material to work on, you know, like a, a scene to work on and a monologue. Mm-hmm. And I just worked my hardest on it. And I went in and I played some guitar and kind of told them about what I did. And lo and behold, you know, not far after that, I ended up getting a contract in the mail. <laughs> and so I've been represented by CPM Talent Management since 2018. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks. And then um, right after CPM talent management signed me, you know, they started sending me on auditions and um, the first job I booked was Gotham. And I played one of the uh, penguin, you know, Oswald Cobblepot's henchmen. It was almost one of the last episodes of the show. It was an episode um, called nothing shocking. And um, it was season five, episode eight. And um, I played a big guy character. I come in with ill-fitting clothes. I look kind of, and um, I ended up um, getting shot by um, Mr. Penn, who was the ventriloquist. Right, Um, right. I got shot by him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Scarface. And so those guys were all really, really nice guys. Robin Lord Taylor and Andrew Sellin and Corey Michael Smith. And um, well, that show was surprisingly, surprisingly good. It was. It I was. remember. I remember. I was. I'm a huge Batman fan. You know. Oh yeah. Growing yeah, up, yeah. I've always been a huge. Batman was one was my favorite DC superhero. Spider Man was my favorite Marvel. So I'm like, okay. I'm almost a connoisseur when it comes to both of them. So when Gotham was first announced, I'm like, eh. and mm-hmm. you know, when I saw a lot of things weren't following typical continuity, I was like, eh. But it really was a well-written show, well-acted. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. It really was. Um, and I, I was, you know, I, I got the show, and then um, I'd seen it a number of times. But then what I did is I went back and binge-watched it to make sure I knew everything. Um, well, but, the, the, but the one thing I kind of enjoyed about it, and uh, again, I'm not really a, um, a, a superhero movie connoisseur. Right. But I have seen a number of them. Um, you know, the, the thing I kind of liked about it was it seems like everything is Batman Joker, Batman Joker. And this was Penguin. This was a hell of a lot of Penguin on that show. Oh, yeah. You and know, even, and it, even the Joker, when he showed up, like there there was, twi- you know, the, the, the uh-huh. twin brother scenario and everything. Like there was a lot of twist to it that it it, 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 be, it was a subtext. Right. Everything was right. always around the Penguin and any of the other uh, uh, rogues gallery, the Batman was really kind of just, you know, yeah background characters people like ivy and and mm-hmm. catwoman and and everything else you know before they became poison ivy and catwoman right but they, right but they were just background characters to, to the penguin and his mm-hmm. rise to to the crime families right right and, and i thought it was really good to see the penguin because you know again everything seems to be joker this batman joker batman joker right um, i mean we've had danny devito do the penguin and we've had a couple you know we have we had like schwarzenegger doing mr freeze but really you know the depth of it having you know really being um i think the penguin was pretty much you know oswald was pretty much like the the number two character on that show really and much, yeah yeah and then um and then the riddler too you know uh cory michael smith as ed nigma um and well, then you're hitting the nail right on the head. Like Gotham is a Batman story mm-hmm. to its core. It's a Batman story, but even Bruce Wayne was a side character. Yes, it, he it, was. Yeah. It really was Edward Nigma, uh, Oswald Cobblepot and, and uh, uh, James Gordon. It was their story. It really was. It really was. 
Um, so I, I got up there. Um, you know, I booked the job. And the thing was, was that when I auditioned, I auditioned for two parts on that episode. Okay. Right. The first one was Dale, who stood there and looked dumb. Okay. The second part that I auditioned for was a creature that was in a tunnel in that episode. Um, it was uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred were in this tunnel. And there was a creature down there that was mauling people. And um, you, know, you really didn't see him very much. He was kind of a mutant. And um, yeah, he like uh, grabbed, you know, and spun around. So you really didn't see him. Right. So I was glad that I got Dale, you know. Um, <laughs> so, the, so for the audition consisted of two things. Uh, making dumb faces and making snarling and growling noises like the Tasmanian devil. Okay. So I ended up getting the dumb faces. And um, so I did that part. I got up there and it was filmed at Steiner studios in Brooklyn. Okay. And um, I got up there, I drove up and I was like, okay, I got there in the town early and it was only a couple blocks away. So I was able to park the car and I said, all right, I'm going to sit. So I brought two cell phones and alarm clock and, I had a wake up call. So I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be late. And I went to bed early, but I'd wake up every hour and a half. Like, Oh my God, am I late? Am I late? What's going on? What's going on? Oh, okay. I can sleep. So finally I got up at like four when I wanted to get up at like four 30. I was like, all right, I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. I'm going to shower. I'm going to head over. And I got to the lot early and I just waited. And then, you know, finally they got there at six and I went in and um andrew sellen was the first guy he was mr um mr penn who ended up being um with scarface right he was the first one like the first cast member to greet me and then you know the pas and the hair and makeup people greeted me and everything and he was just absolutely wonderful he kind of took me under his wing because that was really my first trip to the dance you know right and, um he was very kind very accommodating he's a really really nice guy he's really like um intelligent and well-educated and just a very, very good soul. He's just, you know, good people all over inside and out. And, um, and then as I was getting ready to head down for rehearsal, I kind of looked in one of the hairdressing and makeup rooms and I saw uh, Robin Lord Taylor. And I guess he may have known who I was because he, I, I was in the new dressing room and, um, that had Dale on it. And he <laughs> kind of waved to me and said, hi. And, um, so I got down to the rehearsal area and when I was coming into the scene, I was carrying a tray. Right. And they didn't have prop food on the tray. It was actually real food and there were grapes and there were um, like sardines and anchovies and really stinky cheese on there. Oh like, God. So I'm six foot six and I, and they gave me like ill fitting clothing, you know, short sleeves were too short. I was wearing high waters, um, you know, and, so I'm holding the uh, tray kind of awkwardly, like kind of chest high, and I'm you know kind of making my dumb Dale face. And Oswald, you know, um, Robin was about five foot six. Right. So I'm standing behind him. We're getting ready to make our entrance and go in. And he turns around to say something to somebody behind us. And he was at nose level with the anchovies and the sardines. Oh. So he looks at me and he goes, man. <laughs> God. And I said, yeah. And he says, do you eat that stuff? And I said, yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, once or twice a year, I'll get a thing of sardines. I'm not going to lie. I said, I don't live off of it. And I certainly not date food when I take my wife out or something, but you know, uh, and he goes, man, that's, that's, that's rough. And, um, 
and he and I had a couple of laughs during the the thing. And, uh, and, and the same thing was Corey. Those two guys are a couple of characters. I think they're really good friends right. outside of shooting. And, um, the two of those guys were cutting up and laughing and joking together. And I think they're, they were actually pretty tight friends. Um, and then I met, uh, one of the, uh, hair and makeup and production, uh, people was a girl from Baltimore, went to Western high school and, um, grew up not too far from where I grew up. And one of the stunt men had worked on some John Waters movies down here. Okay. And the director was actually, um, Ken Fink who had directed a lot of homicide episodes, which was okay. filmed in Baltimore as well. Um, so that, that was a really wonderful shoot. Everybody was a super nice. Um, the food was freaking incredible, you know, on that, you know, I mean, it was just like, um, I felt like Templeton the rat, you know, I go into a smorgasbord. I mean, there's always food out craft services and all that. And <laughs> good Lord. Yeah. You know, I could have rolled around like Templeton, the rat when I got all fat and everything, you know, and, um, kind of like secret of the nymph right there. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. stone and shit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, I did that job and then I'm um, not too far after that. I ended up booking the, um, JG Wentworth commercial where I'm the Viking. Yeah. And, um, so when I went to that, what they did is they had us audition in groups. So we stood in you know, groups of like eight or 10 of us. And what they would do is they would play the music and the casting director would point to the person and you would lip sync your part. Right. Okay. They said, but the, but the thing was, is like, there were so many people during that audition that just weren't listening and they were actually singing when they say, don't sing. And somebody just kept singing. And I was like, you know, a bunch of guys in my group were doing that. I was like, you know, I'm out of here. They're not going to want me, but I ended up getting it. And there were a lot of people that tried out for that. So, um, I, I was, I felt very fortunate to have gotten that part, but then again, there was no acting involved. I made dumb faces and I lip synced for the first two big jobs of my right. career. <laughs> so I ended up, um, I could do that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I ended up uh, going up to film this job in Stanford, Connecticut. Right. And um, up in Stanford, um, I got up there the night before and we met at a uh, really nice little uh, cafe, like one of the more modern ones. And they have food trucks. They, they make like the fancy nouveau kind of trendy sandwiches and right. that kind of thing there. And tacos and all that. Yeah. 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 So I got up there and then you know, they did my makeup and everything and, and they dressed me. But one thing I noticed was that I'm as tall as the inside of a bus. I'm six foot six. So if I stand flat foot and my back is straight, my head touches the ceiling and my feet are flat on the floor. Okay. So I was walking back to my car because I forgot something. I think it was like a paper I had to sign to hand in. And I walked by the bus and I, I heard the crew and they're saying, did you see how tall that guy is? How's this going to work? And I was like, oh, no. I was afraid I was going to get sent home because right. I was too, because the thing is, it's like those horns were another eight inches high. And then they also had lights and stuff attached up in the ceiling that you didn't see in the shot, but they were lighting the bus. And I was like, Oh crap, I'm going to get cut and sent home. But it turned out we didn't. But during, while we were riding around in that bus and we listened to that song all day, they constantly had it on loop, <laughs> you know, um, I was standing in the, in the, uh, down by the doorway where there's like a little well that leads out to the back door. Right. I would stand down there. And then when my part came, what I kind of had to do was like step backwards 
and go around a couple of people and kind of come into the shot that way and do my part. So um, I was doing that and, you know, it was, it had to be like one good motion to do it. And we filmed it a whole bunch of times and I really had to stay kind of squatted down while I was in the shot because of my height and everything. And to be able to be, have everything in the shot. And I'll tell you what, by the time I finished shooting that portion of it, I had like buns of steel. Because you know, <laughs> All the quads. Oh yeah, I mean, I had a quad and a glute, um, you know, a, a quad and a glute workout like you would not believe. <laughs> so I ended up, um, yeah, so we ended up filming it. It turned out good. And I made some really good friends on that shoot. As a matter of fact, three people in the cast of that, I ended up having on my podcast later on. Uh, Lothair Eaton, who was standing in the back of the bus, he had actually toured in uh, Midnight Express for a long time. Okay. He does a lot of musicals. He's also a musical teacher or a voice teacher. Uh, Mike Funk was the construction worker, and we got up in each other's face at the end, you know, 877 cash now. And um, he's an actor. He's done a lot of movies, uh, Law and Order SVU. And Natalie Vero, who you know, trained at Second City for a while, and she's done a lot of um, uh, some you know, television and that kind of thing, too. And uh, they're all very, very nice people. So I've been very, very lucky that I've not had um, – you hear about showbiz stories where this person hates that one. And I, I've been very, very lucky that everybody's gotten along and everybody's been very pleasant, you know? Um, well, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. Like you say that the shoot went very, very well. Mm -hmm. You're the Viking from the 1-800-CASH-NOW commercials. <laughs> you, you are like as iconic in advertising as the cavemen in, in Geico or the frog. <laughs> I mean, come on! How can you how can you humbly downplay the fact that you, like you you stand with some of the advertising greats, like you know, like that go all the way back to where's the beef? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I wasn't sure. Um, I, I wasn't sure because um, uh, well, nobody's asked me to do more. You know, there, there's never been any conversation about me doing more or anything like that. You know, like um, flow from progressive, and there's well, a whole series of caveman ones. So um, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to be the dick, but is JG Wetwish still around? <laughs> I, I think they are. Well, I mean, they still play the commercials, so I'm sure they're trying to get customers. You know, um, you never yeah, know. But, man. I mean, look at look at uh, look at Verizon, for example. For the longest time, you had to do with the glasses running around. Can you hear me now? Yep, yep. Now, and then he switched over to Sprint. Yes, he did. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. You um, never know. The Viking could wind up at Wendy's or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I could show up on a sitcom somewhere or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, there were actually a couple of people that worked for J.G. Wentworth as passengers on the bus, too, that day. I, get, I did get to meet a couple of them and everything, and... um so, uh, yes, but they, they were all very nice. You know, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I've been blessed to get that, you know, um, after that, a couple months later, I booked, um, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt okay. and that was the movie. It wasn't the actual series. There was a movie that is on Netflix separately. Okay. It's called Kimmy versus the Reverend. And, um, it's, it's a story, um, about, um, Kimmy, who was Ellie Kemper from the office and Titus Burgess, who's like a Broadway guy. Um, they're roommates 
and the whole thing was a fish out of water story. I, I don't know if you've seen the show, but um, yeah. Ellie Kemper, uh, she played Aaron on The Office um, after Pam switched from being the receptionist to sales. Um, and Ellie Kemper's character played a girl who was kidnapped by a charismatic reverend and kept in a bunker for 15 years because she thought it was, she was told the Armageddon happened. Right. And it was like a cult that lived in bunkers under the ground. And she was rescued. And um, uh, Don Draper or Don, what's his name? Is it Don? The, the main character on, what's his name? Oh, God, it'll come to me. Um, from Mad Men was the Reverend. Okay. Um, God, oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> I should know this, you know. Um, he was the Reverend, and um, he was the one that kidnapped the girls and put them in the bunker for all those years. Okay. And um, so we... Uh, they were doing a part where they were trying to catch up to the reverend and they were going all over the country to try to get him and everything. And I played a bartender in a West Virginia bar that they went to. And, um, you know, I, I, I went in and they come in and, um, it, it's real hillbilly. Um, you know, and they're like complete fish out of water. Um, she goes from the bunker and being completely naive and everything, she was like an Indiana girl to New York City, you know, meets Titus, and Titus is this, you know, uh, musical theater guy who's kind of uh, flamboyant and you know, really, you know, kind of, you know, loud and funny and everything. And, um, you know, they're going on this tour to try to catch the Reverend, and they end up in a hillbilly town, and they go into a bar. And everybody's yelling, play some Skinner, man, you know, and uh, they're, they're yelling, Freebird. And they come in and I look at them and I say, can I help you strangers? What do you want? You know, what do you want here? You know, and um, then they start talking. I said, why don't you two keep going on down the road? You know, this isn't the place for you. So um, the band is playing you know, Freebird. And um, so Titus ends up going up and singing Freebird with the band. And everybody, and there, the, the thing is, is that there are two options that you have. <coughs> um it's an interactive movie. So you can use your remote to make choices. You have choice A, he knows the song, or choice B, he doesn't know the song. And, um, you know, when he doesn't know the song, you know, one thing happens, but then, you know, when he knows the song, another thing happens. And then, um, so, um, you know, he was up there with the band and they, they sang Freebird and then, um, after Freebird, then he won the crowd over, and everybody loves him, and everybody wants to help him now. Right. And um, Paul Laser from Silence of the Lambs played one of the characters. Um, there was another fellow, again, who, and this is embarrassing, his name escapes me, ended up giving him the keys to his lawnmower uh, to chase after the reverend. And um, he says, I could use the money because, you know, opiates, you know, I need some money for opiates. That's kind of an epidemic now, you know. So, right. um there's a really funny scene. You know, I got to work with, um, you know, Tina Fey was the executive director and Claire Scanlon, who's a well-known director and actress was the director of the show. Uh, was the director of the movie. And, um, that was just a really good experience. You know, I got to meet Ellie and, you know, Titus while we weren't shooting and Paul laser and all of them again, you know, it was just a wonderful experience with some very, very nice people. Um, and then I've gotten booked to do some ID discovery things as well. 
and See, some, of those, um, some of the things you're you're talking about like that that if i were ever to look into acting those are the types of roles that would appeal to me right you know, right character it, work yeah it's the character the small character work almost almost extra but like you know more than just standing in the background type guy uh, yes character. yes mm-hmm. like i've always said like i I've, I've interviewed bill foster and of course bill foster is very famous for uh for western movies and i yep. And I was always joking with them in the sense that I want to be the drunk guy in the, te- in the, uh, in the cantina, in the bar, you know, <laughs> yeah. who, who they throw out, out the, uh, the door, you mm-hmm. know, cause I, I'm too drunk and I'm stumbling all over everybody. And then in the next thing you see me, I'm passed out drunk in the street laying yeah. in horse manure. Right, you know, right, I mean? right. Or, or as I've always said, my ultimate dream in life, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Let me be an extra Jedi who dies. Sure, sure, sure. You don't even have yeah. to pay me. Just let me take the costume home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I would imagine if I ever got into acting, those would be the types of roles I would want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a lot of fun to do those parts and everything and to be, you know, an, an extra. There, You can make good money being um, background and extras for well, let sure. Me, let me ask you, let me ask you this. I, I know, especially because you do uh, – plays an actual stage like like you know for lack of a better term here for broadway production type shows as well mm-hmm. not just you know in front of the camera tv and 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 film uh with the covid crisis going on i know a lot of plays and and productions have been going to zoom meetings yeah yeah a- have you have you dabbled in any of that or even looked into it uh We've- we really haven't, you know, um, I'm not, I don't do that much, you know, really stage work anymore. Um, you know, um, I don't do a lot of community theater anymore just because, you know, the fact that I have management now and not that I'm looking down my nose at doing it, it's, it's definitely not beneath me to do it because just because you're a community theater does not mean you don't have talented people does not mean you're not putting on a good show what the situation is, is that, um, you know, the fact that I have management now, I've made a commitment to my management. Right. If they say you've got an audition in New York tomorrow, you have an audition in New York tomorrow or in Philly, or if you book something and you got to go film, you got to go film. And th- and it doesn't matter if you are, you know, in a community theater production or anything else. I mean, if it was a professional job, they would work with the people so you could work around it. Right. But a community, th- you would have to go. And the thing is, is that I know a lot of people in community theater in this area, and I have enough respect for them not to do that to them is after they've worked hard to put together a production. Right. You know, I would never do that to somebody because I wouldn't want somebody bagging on me. And um, so I really don't do much of that. You know, what I do is just my own, you know, our murder mystery shows, our silly shows on uh, boats and trains. Um it's it's hard to do that. It really is. Um, just because, um, you know, just because the thing is, it's like you have to see the murder. You know, you have to see the murder weapon at least. You know, right. um, usually what we have is when the person is murdered, the murder always happens off stage. But then they come in and the, you know, there's a murder weapon sticking out of them. And we have the fake blood and the uh, bloody shirt on them and everything. And they're coming out. Ah! You know, and a lot of times you know, you're looking for clues the whole time too. So you have to cut whenever we do it, you know, there's always clues. Sometimes they're visual clues. Sometimes they're spoken clues. Um, and you kind of have to be in the presence of the audience to do it. Um, I think some people have attempted to do it in some different ways, um, but it really doesn't fit our group that well. 
Okay. You know, uh, it, it's kind of funny because I've been sitting on a couple things that, that that play off of what you've been saying the whole entire time, but mm-hmm. I didn't really want to interrupt. You oh, know, sure. like, like when you're talking about like the uh, the for example the uh, the Santa Claus bit, uh-huh. you know, and of course some of the, the 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 shows where you're standing outside and the kids want to slap hands and all that. It reminded me of a time I dressed up as Santa Claus. Now there's a couple of stories. <laughs> I dressed up one time for my ex-wife's uh, other kids, my stepchildren. You're right, right. Uh, she only had visitations with them. So it was Christmas time and we got to meet them at the mall up here in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so to give them their Christmas presents and all that, I dressed as Santa Claus. Right, right. And the funny part about it is the mall security came over to me mm-hmm. because of the fact that we were, you know, I was dressed as Santa Claus and I was trying to give the presents to, to the girls. And the mall security came up because they had their own Santa Claus. And said, so hmm. you, can't, you can't be here. You can't have your face covered. We have to escort you out. I said, hmm. really? You have, you're, you're escorting me out of the building? Uh. And they're like, yeah. I was like, you know, and I made sure with them. I'm like, well, look, my regular clothes are outside. I'm only doing this for my stepdaughters. Am I allowed back in once I get changed? Like, yeah, you just can't be Santa Claus here. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, right, whatever. So they're escorting me out the building. They're making sure I'm leaving out the door. And <laughs> Security's getting pissed because every 10 feet, I'm getting stopped by parents and their children oh, who want man. their children to thank me for their Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, and another, t- another time that was popping in my head was the small bit rolls and everything. The closest mm-hmm. thing I have that I could even compare to, and uh, even my, my current wife right here will probably shake her head and laugh, was the time I did a haunted house for a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine put on a, a haunted house production for a church here in, in Philadelphia. And she talked me into coming in and I was one of the only people that had a speaking role. Oh, okay. Right. Um, my role was I was the security guard of an insane asylum. And uh, when people would come up to me, I'm dressed in this, this security guard outfit. I'm in this little cubby hole room with a TV with uh, black and white snow on, mm-hmm. you know, on my face, I have mascara, fake blood (laughs) uh uh uh, rice krispies and coffee grinds to make me look like an undead zombie type deal right right before the crowd would come in i'd have to take a swig of this like food coloring red and (laughs) i would blank stare at the black and white tv you know the foot snow fuzz and have this stuff dripping out of my mouth and as they're all going ew, ew ew and getting close i would slam against the door and I was supposed to say something random. And, you know, so it was literally things like, Mr. Ed's on at 830. And then I just go back to staring at TV and stuff. Or once in a while, I would hang out and say, go to the next room. I'd be like, I wouldn't go in there. They're not right in the head. And go back to, you know, staring at the TV. <laughs> I remember <it> got, <laughs> the, the drooling part was the worst because it got so bad that it was dripping down to the floor. Oh, wow. And when I'd have to go, like, go against the door frame to, to yell at the people. I would slip in the, in the slime. At the, <laughs> so I'm like banging my chin into the, uh, the door. Cause it was one of those like half doors, like the top half open and the bottom cause stays closed. Right, right, right. You know, you know, and so like, there was a couple times I'd slam in like, you know, under the un- underarms and stuff like that. Like, Oh, I'm supposed to say my lines, but that hurt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that. And then afterwards people coming up to see us and stuff. And like me and a couple of my friends that were helping out with it, you know, we start, we're standing there smoking cigarettes and, and waiting our turn to the bathroom to get the crap off our face. 
mm-hmm. people walking by us, we just start breaking out into the Michael Jackson thriller dance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did some I did some haunt acting too for Kim's Crypt in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I've known Kim since 1988 because she's also a drummer in a band called Scarlet Angel. Okay. And um, I, uh, I, I, she has haunted campouts. She used to have those um, once a year, and then um, she does her regular haunts during haunt season. They've got it really scaled back this year because of COVID. But the first time I went out there to do the haunt, um, I played one character. I played just, you know, a big bloody guy with overalls uh, and um, with overalls and um, like kind of like a bloody face, like kind of zombie-ish looking. Right. Um, You know, my long, my hair was hanging down on my face and everything. And then um, I had like white contact lenses on, you know, to make my, uh, you know, irises look white, you know, and, um, and I would just stare at people. I would just walk over and stare at people. I would, you know, I wasn't violent. I wasn't anything. And I would creep people out that way. <laughs> and then I played another part where I had kind of a hood over my head and I was wearing a tuxedo and I channeled a lot of things for this one. Cause what they did during the camp out was, um, they brought people down. They would abduct people out of the tents there was one section you could stay in um, where, all right, it's time to go to bed. We just want to be left alone. So you booked your tent in that area. There was another part where you could watch horror movies and roast marshmallows all night if you wanted to. Then there was another one, that, which was anything goes, where you could be abducted and taken to different things. And um, so what they would do is they would bring people down to this area and um, they would saran wrap them to a tree. And then I would come out. And um, I was kind of channeling a bunch of different people for this one, but I would come out and I was like wearing a tuxedo with kind of a, like a sewn up sack over my head with eye holes and, um, you know, blacked out teeth and everything. And I'd be like, Peter, is that you? (laughs) Peter John, my son, where have you been, my boy? And, you know, these people, and the thing was, I was creeping the people out at the haunt. (laughs) <laughs> worse than I was creeping out the customers. Nice. <laughs> and like a couple of people like ran from that exhibit. They went and got Kim like, Kim, you got to see this guy. Holy cow. You know? And, um, you know, apparently I, I wrote a whole backstory for this character and everything. And, um, you know, I, I would go over to people and, um, they would be saran wrapped and I would be kind of like walking around them and singing in their ear and stuff. Um, these little like, silly stupid creepy songs i wrote off like on the top of my head i'm gonna get you it was that kind of thing but what i did is i went up to him and i went my son peter where have you been i'm glad to see you come home to mother peter john one day was born and peter john he went to war Peter John, he is no more. He's buried in Christopher's garden. Nice. <laughs> and then um, if it was a woman they would br- or a girl they would bring down, I'd say, my dear Genevieve, you've come back to me after all these years. I've missed you, my dear. 
Genevieve, she was my wife. Genevieve, she took a knife. Genevieve, she took her life. We buried in Christopher's garden. Nice. And, and then, Although I'm um, kind of curious with my name being Christopher. Why is everybody winding up in my garden? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I came up with that kind of just off the top of my head, and I just kind of went with it. <laughs> and um and then um you know kim comes over to me and she goes mike you're creeping our own people out you know with this you know and um that's the best yeah. I mean, it is it is that's uh, like we called it working the workers you know it is it, and you know and, and the thing is too is that um with haunts a lot of times the scary part is violence you know people banging things real loud or coming over like chasing you with a chainsaw with hopefully no chain on it or something like that. But the thing is, it's like kind of like almost like a soft scare. There, there, there is. And I agree because uh, even in wrestling, I had an alter, alternate gimmick for a while that was a, a 2000 year old vampire. Right, right, uh, right. And, and I did the kabuki face paint where it was like the white, black and white face paint. I had a black upside down cross on my face, blood mm -hmm. from my mouth and all that. And like one show for loco pro wrestling they had the, the the promoter was like dude you can't be in the locker room right you've got it right. you've got to float that crowd until your match i'm like float that crowd. he's like yeah just walk around and be a presence the mm -hmm. whole show until we announce your match mm. and i was creeping everybody out just standing <laughs> i didn't say a word i didn't say a word i didn't touch anybody i would just stand there like with my arms crossed dressed in black leather and fishnet and the kabuki face. And I would just mm -hmm. stare at somebody. Yep. <laughs> motionless, emotionless in the face and all that, yep. but just a deadpan stare at him. Yes. Like, yes. You know, yes. Kids, kids are creeping like mommy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I did some of that too with the haunt too is um, what I would do is um, cause I knew she has six, actually six haunts in one. It's a gigantic campus. I guess you could call it out there. And, um, what I, I knew, like, where all the, where all like the, uh, shortcut doors were that were kind of hidden where you could like, you know, go from like, like skip ahead to, you know, um, in the mazes and the haunted houses and stuff that she has. Right. And, um, there were a couple of people that I would just kind of zoom in on and stare at them and nobody else. And, and I could find the ones that would really creep out and really be like, oh my God. <laughs> and um you know one of them was this guy he was there with his wife and about five kids and um so i started staring at him and he turns around looks at me and goes oh hell no oh hell no <laughs> and um so um i was able to sneak around the line and get in like the first room you go into was like strobe lights and fog and you couldn't see a damn thing until you were like two inches from it so i knew where the door was on the other side and i could see them coming in and working their way through and the guy ended up coming up and like bumping into me and like he, his nose hit my chest and then he like looks up and I'm looking down at him. And he's like, Oh hell no. Oh hell no. <laughs> so um, he like turns around and I like went ahead and then I popped up on a whole bunch of other places. And, um, and he's like saying to his wife, he goes, move your ass woman, move your ass. Now or I was going to run your ass over, you know? So then they went out and they were sitting in the bleachers where you could go out and get cotton candy and popcorn and hot dogs and just kind of relax for a while. Right. So what I would do is like, there were places where there were like gaps between buildings and stuff like that. I would be standing there and staring at them 
and then he would just be eating and he would happen to notice me about 50 yards away staring at him <laughs> and he'd be like oh man and then I would disappear and then I'd pop up like you know I would be on his left and I'd pop up on his right you know maybe closer but I'd be like you know like a bush would be there and I'd be standing there like looking over the bush at him and I would always find people to mess with that way you know That's um fun. I would, yeah, it, it was fun that way. You know, the people that really got into it. Now there was a couple of times I had to stop because, you know, I guess some people panicked. They had to, you know, I was saying they were like, all right, all right, ixnay on the, uh, eep cray, you know, because, uh, somebody's actually really scared. And I had to do that a couple of times, but, um, that's, a, that's a lot of fun too. You know, haunts are a lot of fun. And, um, Kim Yates, Kim's crypt is just, she's just incredible. She's been doing this now for like 28 years. I think it's her 28th season. Wow. Yeah. And uh, at different locations, but um, she's just absolutely great. She's a really nice person to work for too. You know, I would recommend that you go check it out if you're not too far away. Spring Grove is, um, I guess it's kind of closer to York than Philly, you know, but if you ever get a chance, you know, they're doing all a lot of code. It's your decision if you want to go this year. Um, you know, even though they're doing some precautions, you know, you may just want to wait. Yeah, you know, it's up to you. But um how well, that I'd rather be the one that helps support keeping it open. I know yeah, I, yeah. I know a lot of people, like not not in the entertainment industry, but I know a lot of small business people. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. Philly that have really suffered from this. So something yeah. like that, I would rather show up even with the restrictions just to help support. Yeah, yeah, I I know, I know, but yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, some people are comfortable, some people aren't, and you just really got to think about how much of a risk you are too, you know. Um, well, we all know I'm a risk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, uh, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. So that that that's um, yeah. So, so those are the kind of the things I'm up to right now. Again, you know, the murder mystery there has kind of just really been a whole bunch of nothing just because of the COVID. Um, been a wash this year but we do plan on coming back when it's time you know we really do and um is there any uh, word since everything's kind of been light uh loosening up a little bit i mean yeah we still have our social distances and our masks but you know like yeah. the world opening up again i haven't heard anything yet from any of my clients so um okay yeah i'm, I'm just not i'm just really not sure um you know and i guess we'll just have to see where we are when they call you know, and then, you know, when things really get lifted, I plan on, you know, reaching out again too, and, you know, getting out and hopping back on the horse. So I get my actors working again, you know, but, um, if you want information again, there's really no dates or anything like that, but it's the foul players of Perryville.com is our website. Um, you can also hear my podcast. Um, it's foul players radio. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Uh, we have a page called, you know, foul players radio. We also have a foul players of Perryville page. I have my actors page, Michael Spedden. Um, we have a Twitter presence, which is at foul underscore radio, which I'm not sure if they, you know, were alluding to the foul players or if they thought my show was foul. I don't know, but, uh, it's, <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is a foul show. You don't want to listen to this, you know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, those are my shows, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but I've got those things going here. How about your plugs? Let's hear, uh, everything you want to promote. Well, surely if you guys want to check out Rome, the entertainment's podcast, be it breaking the fourth wall or the upcoming daily show, or even some of the past podcasts and, uh, 
crazy things we've done, just look up Rome Limits Entertainment on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, share, comment, subscribe. If you prefer your podcast in audio-only format, we got you covered. You can find Rome Limits Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And of right. course, guys, just look up Rome Limits on all social medias. You'll find us in groups and pages and Instagram and the Twitters and and hell, we may even still have a MySpace. You never know. Absolutely. I think I might have one too. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if I ever actually deleted my account. I'd have to go back and look. I know the dissolution um, purity one is still there. That's is that right? Is that right? <laughs> yep. I have one for the uncle moldy show too, um, on, uh, Facebook, but we're not really playing much now because of COVID too, but, um, right. you know, the foul players radio, you can find it on buzzsprout.com. It's foulplayersradio.buzzsprout.com as well. Yeah as in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Castro, CastBox, and iHeartRadio. You can find it in all those areas. And um, subscribe. Give us a big five-star rating or one star. But give us a rating. You know, let us know what you think. Just don't throw any rotten tomatoes or produce or anything at me because I'm just not quick enough to move out of the way anymore. Jesus, doesn't everybody always want wind up bringing eggs and tomatoes to a speech? Something like that, you know. And uh, <laughs> I, and I've got to be, you know, and over the years I've gotten to be an, an even bigger, even slower moving target. So uh, <laughs> I think people are kind of licking their chops at that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, this quarantine has not been kind to most of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. That's there's the a truth. reason. That, there's a reason that you're looking at me on camera. You're only seeing from like neck height up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, there, you know, that's the thing too. And I, and I still have a day job as well, you know, because you know, the greatest advice I ever got in show business was not to quit it. So I, uh, you know, still work at a day job and everything. And I'm very busy with that as well as, you know, coming on and doing my podcast in the evening and stuff. And right. uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and everybody else in our network here, uh, you well, know, the SJ gonna, network, you know, I'm definitely going to have to have you on again. And, and just after this two hours, yeah. Uh, of of uh of yakking together. Uh-huh. I you know I've got to bring you on the weekly show. Sure. It, sure. You're you're a comedy guy. You're gonna love hanging out with me and Don Smith and Chris yeah. and Serenity and uh and Colin and you know going into wacky news reports and uh sure you know some silly conversation of some something and it, it, I mean with Halloween mm-hmm. coming up especially with your with your background with some of the uh you know, burying in Christopher's garden. Like we, we, <laughs> who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll put you on the spot and we'll make it a breaking the fourth wall weekly show where sure. we'll, we'll do a murder mystery, like a radio old timey radio broadcast. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. People that would probably be fun. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure. And again, you know, I feel like, um, not only since I've gotten into this network, have I gotten some great episodes, I feel like I've made some new friends too. So absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for letting me bore your audience for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the lowest rated episode you ever had. But uh, I doubt that. I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there an outro you give? Nope. nope. Okay. Then I'll just. 
Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist. And just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.